All right, everyone, we are live, and welcome back to Bearded Drums Live this week in the freezing state of South Mississippi. How are you doing this week, Jared? It has been a week. It uh, has been, it has been a, a week. week. <laughs> this is my first day off in six days. Jared has been working his little booty off. It is, even though Mardi Gras is non-existent here, Jarrett is still operating on a Mardi Gras-like schedule, so he is dealing with the craziness. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Jarrett's oh. got the got the volume turned up. Oh. That's my fault. Um, so Jarrett is in trouble. Oh, man, <laughs> Jarrett is in trouble. Jarrett showed up at like 5.52 with eight minutes left before air <laughs> running in the door. <laughs> it has not been a good a good way to start. That's okay. I had everything running and ready to go, and we had a co-host ready to take your spot in case you weren't here. <laughs> Luckily, we did not have to do that because they did not know anything about drums. They would just been parroting everything I said right back at me. So you <laughs> made it in time. As I said, it is freezing horribly here in the state of Mississippi. We are dealing with horrible weather, so hopefully tonight you won't see, I'm rather see, you won't hear the heater cutting on and off continuously. Yeah, because um, it's, it's 30, I think, right now. Which I don't is, even know what the temperature which is. Which is not normal for southern Mississippi. It is 44 degrees here in the great state of Mississippi, and granted, we don't have it as bad as texas oh thank god um or i believe i don't know how about alabama but obviously anything halfway up the state is got has gotten snow and ice so it's just cold here yeah um granted everything froze over the past couple of days but we don't have it nearly as bad as so if you are dealing with any of this right now our heart goes out to you but it's already tough enough here because we're just not we're just not used to it. Mm -mm. No, I mean, I, I'm used to, like, you know, if it's 99 degrees outside, you know, 100% humidity, that's a whole, that's fine. I can deal with that all day. <laughs> but the minute that it, it gets dry and cold and there's mention of ice, it's like, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Nothing. I'm not bundled for this. I mean, I'm large, but I'm not that large to be able to just. Well, and you almost, you were telling me you almost got stuck where you would had to have stayed at the casino after your shift ended. Yeah, uh, I got real lucky that. What was uh, that? What night was that? That was Monday night. Whew. Yeah, they had uh, they had his rooms and everything. And if we uh, if the roads would have actually frozen, if it would have rained more that day, yeah, I'd have been stuck at work till. Well, I called him at like, uh, what did your shift end at midnight? Yeah, I called him shortly after that, and I was like, "So you having to stay there, man?" He's like, "No, no, no, I'm on my way home." So at least you didn't have to. You know, bunk up at the casino. A little bit rough. Yeah. <laughs> God. But we're here. Uh, even though it's cold, we're ready to do our thing. Um, so, again, everybody, welcome to this week's episode. And as usual, or at least here lately, uh, just want to remind everybody that now the Bearded Drums podcast in audio form is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The past two episodes are up if you want to go hear the audio version only. If this is your first one you're checking out and you just have a project you want to do or you don't want to eat up your data, you can go check it out on Apple and Spotify. And of course, as always, we are live here on YouTube every Thursday, at least thus far. Yeah. 6 p.m. 
Central Standard Time, even though Jarrett showed up at 5.52. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get started with this week's podcast. As usual, projects for the week. Jarrett, what do you have going on? Um, And it's okay to say, Stephen... I have nothing going on because I've been working constantly. I've, I haven't touched anything since I've been working. I haven't had much time to really. I got those those BR three XLs that our indie drum shop makes to put on that club date. But what is still... a BR three XL, Jared? Please let the viewers and listeners know. So uh, indie drum parts, he has these brackets which replace. Uh, this model replaces like any. Uh, Tom mount. Uh, oh, okay, just the Tom receiver. Tom receiver, or use his floor Tom legs. Does it just take the L-rod, just the typical size L-rod? Yeah. Just, okay. uh, and it, I believe it goes from 7.5 to 12.5 is the size that you could put inside of it. Um, but the XL model is only anything over uh, 2 inches in okay. spacing. And it probably has that really cool indie drum art deco look, kind of like the throw-off, I would imagine. Yeah, it's got the... Instead of it being like it just mounts to it, there's like a U-shape that goes around. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so you get more resonance. They have the coolest looking stuff. If you ever need, uh, you know, kind of a universal part, especially if you want to change off a throw-off on a snare drum, or if you need, like, they do mounting brackets, do they do anything else general part-wise? Yeah, so he has, um, like, bass spurs. Like vintage drums. Yeah. Like, it's like where the mounts, like on yours, is kind of weird. Like, on ours. Yeah. It's that round one. Well, they just come straight out of the drum. Um, uh, he has them as a way where you can either fit them to the existing hole size, if yeah. it's correct, or another cool thing he does is where he has actual lugs that take the tension rod still, oh, and it also has a spacer for cool. to put another. So it just replaces the existing lug. That's sweet. Yeah, so if you wanted to mount like a cymbal L-arm, off of a lug, you can do it like that. It's like the Atlas stuff, but it's way less bulky. That Atlas stuff is... If you have never seen the Atlas, Ludwig Atlas hardware, I mean... It's chunky. I mean, it's nice, and yeah. it's heavy-duty, and you probably could never, ever break it, but, it is. man, they are... That to, that Tom mount alone... Where we, so the camera can see it. Yeah. It comes out like that far off the drum. It's it is massive. just yeah. It seems like once you put the Atlas mount, or do they come on standard drums that Ludwig offers? I think they're on some lines they're introducing now. It comes standard. But it seems like if that Tom mount was on there, you would have to get the next size up in a bag just for it to fit right. Yeah, because it's it's huge. Because <laughs> I thought about I looked at him and then I saw his stuff and it's like. It's way lighter, yeah, and it's way less intrusive. Well, plus his stuff is just the indie drum stuff looks so good. Yeah, it's just got a cool. I keep saying it like an Art Deco look to it. And I don't have anything right now that needs a new throw off. But if I did, that would be exactly like the Ludwig there. I don't want to touch it because it. You know, I don't. I haven't done the video yet, but now my Blue Sparkle Ludwig uh, club date that I record with here that's sitting right here is now complete thanks to Jared. Even though he arrived at 5.52 tonight, he did complete (laughs) the Ludwig club date for me. So now I have all matching. You know, I had the kit, the two toms and the the kick drum, but I got Jared's matching Blue Sparkle jazz festival off of them. So I have a complete kit. I don't want to mess with that throw off. 
I don't think it would fit on either of the two junior Ludwig models. No. I'm definitely not touching the Pioneer, and I'm definitely not touching 0844, so I don't really have anything. Yeah. But if I do, or if I build that single-tension drum yeah. out of that shell, that's... Uh, so if you do need anything, definitely check out Indie Drum, I-N-D-E, probably dot com. Yeah. Very cool stuff. Um, so... Uh, but yeah, totally understandable with the schedule you've had this week and the, what do they call it? Inclement weather. Yeah. Um, I could see why, uh, you haven't really had a chance to work on anything myself though. Um, really I, on the, uh, advice of Derek, who is our personal professional photographer. Yeah. And once I let Jarrett hear one of my mixes of late, um, which you can hear all these mixes when I do performance like the at the beginning of the video when I play to a track and when I do the flat recordings for like just demoing a drum uh, I let Jarrett hear one of those recent ones and on the advice of Jarrett and Derek I've decided to strip the whole thing down to a brand new flat mix and build myself a new EQ for this um, for this Ludwig and kind of just build it up from the beginning and Lately, I have had, I have a really nice sure overhead recording mic because I only use, I have a two mic recording setup, which is really what I got off of the main thing I've ever picked up off of Carter McLean is that you could actually get a really good recording off of two mics, which is just one on the kick and then a really nice overhead uh, ca capturing the rest of the drums. And of course, if I knew more about mixing, like Carter probably does, I yeah. could get even better. But like most things, I'm learning. You know, I had to learn how to shoot videos for YouTube. I had to learn how to do this whole live streaming thing. Um, and now I'm really trying to focus on getting better as a novice yeah. engineer. So I did have my recording mic kind of coming from the back of the drums. And then over the past couple of weeks, kind of since you and I talked about that last mix and talking to Jarrett or Derek, um, I noticed in every video I saw that they were all booming the mic from the front. So instead of the front of the capsule being behind me, even though it was over me, but kind of pointing back from behind me the way I had it mm -hmm. now, that's not the same position, but it's, it's over a little bit to the side. Now the front of the capsule is actually kind of pointing towards the drums. And I have noticed today, I only got to EQ the overhead, but I have noticed a bigger difference in the, volume leveling like you know how that tom yeah it seems like my toms were really present and the hi-hat and the snare were maybe a little bit lower in volume now it seems like everything is a little bit more even and now i'm trying to i've spent the past two weeks trying to build up my eq to a new you know complete setup to where because that was the whole point with the two miking setup for me especially for youtube i don't I already have to spend enough time shooting the videos getting the b-roll getting the research done for whatever I'm talking about. I don't want to have to spend any time on the audio recording when it comes time and, you know, time to get in here and play. So the two mic setup for me is really simple. You turn it on, you load the preset into the mixer and you just hit record and then I can go from there. So if I can get a little better, I think on this round and get a, not that my mix wasn't clear before, but a clearer mix. Yeah. I think it'll sound a lot better and you'll probably see, the new mix, the new audio mix on like, uh, there won't be a video this week, just a live stream this week. But next week when that video comes out, 
that will more than likely have the new audio mix on it. So if you do happen to see that review, you can tell me whether you a even notice a difference or whether it sounds good, yeah. you know, or not. I saw you writing something down. Do you have a? I just want to make sure, in case any like YouTube blocks comments or anything, I can I can oh go back to it. Yeah. Okay. Did somebody already bring something? Yeah. In? Uh, Spencer just said cheers from Seattle. What's up, Spencer? I believe Spencer was here last week as well. Uh, I maybe I know he was definitely here. The week Jarrett before. doesn't remember because Jarrett showed up today at five fifty-two, coming in late. But I remember because I remember something about Seattle. So I think you checked in with us last week. So glad you are here again. I'm glad we have however many people watching. And remember, as always, as you're watching this live on YouTube only, um, if you have a question or a comment. Anything positive or negative, please hit us up in the live chat. We'd like any anything you have to add to the conversation or if there's something you need us to answer or something you want us to talk about, you know, hit yeah. us up. Jared will be monitoring the chat. Yeah, um, Spencer asks, uh, favorite DAW or free one? Well, first, I mean, I know you're getting into it or have done it before. Do you have an opinion on that thus far? Um, out of the ones that I've kind of fiddled with uh i used studio one for a little bit that came with my uh presonus uh fire studio and that was all that was a little complicated um i cannot remember what the particular one is that mr tim at rock u2 uses but his is free mr tim uses all free stuff uh whenever he did our first two singles for our band and it was pretty easy to use i know my friend taylor uses Ableton a lot, and he's also loves Logic because he says Logic is just really easy to use. Are those are those pay? Uh, well, Logic is paid. Um, I think Studio... I think Reaper is what Tim uses, and Reaper is free. Um, I would say this as far as what I've experienced <clears throat> thus far. None of us are professional, high-level yeah. you know, engineers, so just go with the free version of whatever. Just like him, I use the uh, the PreSonus. Was it called Studio Studio One? Studio One. That's awesome. And like he said, yeah, it probably is a little complicated, but that's only because it includes everything you could ever need. Yeah. Once I think you get uh, used to working around it, which I'm not even. I really only know what half the buttons do. Yeah. On the interface, I know how to load in a track how to set my gain and I know how to go into the effects and pull reverb EQ, things like that. Yeah. So that's the cool thing about buying a pre unit. Um, you get a free copy of studio one. I don't know how much studio one costs if you go and try I, to actually buy it, but I don't either. I would imagine just like most things, the free version will work just fine mm -hmm. um, for, for shooting videos. Um, I started the channel with iMovie, which is free when you have a, Apple product, and then I stepped up later on and bought. I don't remember how it was, a hundred to two hundred dollars for um, Final, Final Cut. Cut. I have used Final Cut a handful of times when I made the drum documentary. Yeah, when I really have some heavy lifting to do, but most of the time I use the free iMovie. So yeah. I think in most cases the free version is it just as good or all you're going to need to get you know. Yeah. To get where you're going. Because he says, I'm getting all my gear together to record three SM57s and two Beta 52s. And he's got a Personas Audio Box 1818 VSL. I am not super knowledgeable on interfaces. But I do know from like watching people's videos. Um, there's one guy 
Andrew something who has like a whole how to from beginning to end of how he does all of his drum videos. Yeah. Um, that was really, really like eye opening. He's like, don't buy anything extra. He's like, use the plugins that's already with it. Yeah. And just get familiar with those. And then once you're comfortable and you want to try new stuff, go for it. And then I'm assuming for your three SM57s, you're going to do probably like maybe one snare drum, maybe two overheads. I'm assuming with the three you got, Spencer. Um, I know a lot of guys like to use 57s as well, overheads for a crunchier uh, kind of. What was the other one that he said? He had two. He had three 57s and two sure. And two Beta 52s. That's I don't know what that is. Uh, the Beta 52 is uh, their kick drum mic, basically. Oh. Yeah. So I would assume he's using. One beta 52 on the kick inside and one beta 52 on the kick outside. That's what I would assume. Or one beta 52 on the kick and one beta 52 on the floor time, which I know is pretty. Yeah, if uh, you're definitely getting, we want more low end, yeah. Um, which I did a long time ago, even though I have, I have a really nice, I don't know what it is. It's a sure something or other, really like a $500 overhead. But I use a PG on the kick and. I took, even though it's it's an obviously an inexpensive like fifty dollar mic. I did take it one time when I brought the Pandiero yeah. to the juke joint and I put it on the floor tom and it in that kind of use case it does great. Yeah, you know, on a low pitched instrument like a floor tom or like a if you had a gong drum, you could get away with a lot like that. But like he said um, a second ago, yeah, I wouldn't spend any money purchasing plugins or anything like that. Yeah. At least for Studio One, there is so many plugins in there. I've never not found what I needed. And like I said, I'm not enough of a pro to be able to judge yeah. a pay one versus the free one. But the free ones work fine. Yeah. I don't think it really matters until you're getting into like you're sending off tracks to someone. Yeah. And then they definitely. And if you're doing all the pre-mixing before you send it to them, that's probably when you would ever really need that. But I'm assuming they might just want stems, if anything. Probably. And they'll be like, well, we'll just do whatever you want to with it. Just make sure that you get a really good recording, and then we'll add the, the sparkle. See, people do beta. Yeah, a lot of folks use betas on floor tom. They want more low end, especially when you get to your larger sizes, like your 18s, or you have a really fat 16. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you did good by buying the betas. I mean, obviously, you don't need anything more than a uh, SM57. Like yeah. as far as if you're going to do it on the snares, if you're going to do it on the toms, or like if you're talking about with the crunchy kind of overhead thing, yeah. an SM57 is the stand, the gold standard for recording. But if you can, in other mic situations, a kick or an overhead, or if you want those little tiny goosenecks, stepping up to the beta like you did, you're never going to have to replace that mic. I mean, that's mm. that's. Cause there's a guy on YouTube that shows you how he records drums, mm -hmm. um, but like in these big studios, he's a British dude, um, and he'll go through like every session if he's like allowed to. Like yeah, these, these massive rooms, and what does he use on the hi hat? He has this weird double rod that comes down. One's an SM57, the other one is some kind of fancy mic he's had that's retro. But that's his that's his secret hi hat sauce. Yeah, and then the snare drum, he's like, and of course, fifty seven on top and bottom. Yep, and he's in these massive, and he's got these other microphones that are like worth thousands of dollars, like five k plus for room mics. And he's got just the old ninety nine dollar fifty seven. No, you can't. You can't beat a fifty seven. Um, do you guys ever use a drum dial? I have one, and I use it every once in a while just to make sure. It's mostly on my older drums that I'm not putting too much tension in and wonking something. I have a friend, we, I have a, well, I think you know Ray. 
Yeah. We have a friend here. He is uh, he's a little bit older than us. He is kind of one of our drumming fi- founding fathers around here. He swears. Even since I was about 20 years old, he swears by the drum dial. He has a little notebook that he keeps his tension numbers on for mm-hmm. like, I would imagine like 20, 10, 12, 14, or like a 22, 12, 13, 16, or, or whatever. But he's, I know he's got a little chart or whatever with it. So he can just quickly, and I remember when I was in my 20s at the old EO club, not the one that everybody is used to from the past five years or so. Yeah. Um, he would actually, in between sets, take the drum dial out really quickly and just kind of hit every drum and make sure it was still in tune. So I used to mess with it a long time ago. I'm better at ear tuning and really not even ear tuning. I go by, which I know is kind of weird. I go by how the tension feels when I'm pushing. Yeah. Like, and granted that's a little can be misleading because if you have a rusty, horrible old tuning rod that could throw it off. But typically I, I keep my drums good. So I don't have to worry about that. But I go by how it feels when I turn or I go by ear, but I know lots of guys, Ray included myself. When I did use it a couple of times, the drum dial does work. I yeah. mean, there's no, no question about whether it's actually effective. Um, it's just, I think they're probably around a hundred dollars. Yeah. I got the fancy one that comes with the bag. Oh, so just cause it's, it's kind of expensive for a, a tuning. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want anything yeah. to happen to it. Um, but yeah, if, if that's something you want to go for, it's very easy, it's very quick, and I know that they're reliable. Yeah. Um, so. You said we should bring a snare drum in and tune it live, because I'd be there. I know that me and Steven both have very differing opinions when it comes to tuning but our that's snare okay. drums. Yeah. We could both do a snare, and I know that on the uh, <clears throat> the main camera you're looking at us through now, back in the day before I got the audio setup I have now, I used to actually record the drums with the uh, a Rode mic that I bought that goes on top of that camera. And it does get better than halfway decent sound. Yeah. So what I would like to do is when we get to a point where we can add another microphone so we can do more guests and I transfer one of these GoPros away from me, uh, this GoPro, which I never really cut to. If anything, I cut to Jared because he, he'll speak a lot. Really, to see me, all you need is this. Um I will actually take the main camera and I thought I talked about it with Jarrett putting the road on there. And then if somebody that we had a guest on or if any one of us really just wanted to hop over to a kit that's already set up, all I'd have to do is turn the camera a little bit and we could do that. So it's not out of the realm of possibility for us to bring in a snare drum live and, uh, you know, or I mean, it's totally possible that I do need to upgrade from a two input audio box to a four yeah and then i could make that dedicated for the podcast and actually hook in the mics to the podcast and yeah. we have like perfect sound so yeah. we will look into that and as we build you know this setup because it was enough to get everything we've got thus far ready to go and purchased um the next time we do have some extra cash and get some funds in th- that's the first things we're going to do is get another mic to where we can add another guest and then source a way to actually do because i want to be able to at some point be like yeah i've been working on this all week and then Jarrett gets up turn the camera hops over to the kit and y'all can kind of see live yeah mistakes and all yeah what's going on um so yes we will we'll, we'll definitely get into that and it's something i do want to do um anything else uh amber just said more close-ups of jt please 
There you go. That's all Jared, all the time. I'm going to actually leave the camera on Jared <laughs> for the next hour and 36 minutes. So, no. Now you have to stare at me, Amber. I'm going to be on for the next hour and 36. Even though Jared's GoPro looks better, his skin is not quite as orange. And even though we have even lighting, you cut to, you cut to me and I look like <laughs> something's wrong. Like you, It doesn't look that bad over there. But what I actually see coming through the live feed, it looks like I've been in the Bahamas for about a week. <laughs> that's perfect. Yes, I know. All right. So anyway, that's what I've been working on, trying to rebuild and create a whole new fresh EQ for my drums this week. So Jared's been busy. I've really just been doing audio work um, as normal. I can't talk about too many drum projects because that's going to be next week's regular episode so just a little a little wait and next week you'll see that as usual friday 7 a.m the regular video will upload and you'll see what i've actually been working on other than a new mix and other than jared showing up at 5 52 today did you even get to go look at those chairs at walmart no 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 we've been waiting on jared's sitting in some kind of mid-century modern rustic maroon fancy chair i'm in a <laughs> i'm in a i'm in a maroon office chair from 96 and uh we're desperately trying to get ourselves some comfortable little rolling chairs so we don't look like we're uh hanging out in a bed bath and beyond or something um so now moving on to drum news for the week i know what i want to talk about do you have anything and i hope you're not about to mention what i'm about to mention uh, no, I've been very busy, so I haven't had much time to really see a whole lot of anything. For the first time in Bearded Drums live history, which is, this is only the third episode, I know more than Jared. Normally, Jared <laughs> is the Instagram king. He is the social media news king. I actually have the scoop this week um, because everybody is really, it seems like everybody's just now getting around to, because if you don't know, the NAM show where all the new gear comes out every year, which is normally in January, end of January or yeah. sometime in January. They had to do it virtual this year. And because the NAM show really is for the vendors and the stores like guitar center and drum shops and music stores, um, even though musicians can go because it was virtual this year because of the pandemic. Um, Obviously, you're not going to have as high of an engagement with just regular people. It's probably really more the vendors that are interested. So it seems like even though the show was two, three weeks, maybe a month ago, yeah, it seems like the drum companies are just now getting out to where they're letting out their new releases. And I think we did talk about it a little bit last week, but if you don't know, uh, Istanbul Cymbals now has that traditional jazz, yeah. jazz line of cymbals. I've seen Carter McLean show it off on his channel. I've seen another guy whose name escapes me show him off. Steve Lynn? Maybe. But several people have shown him off besides, I think, actually Istanbul themselves put up a video. Yeah. I don't know any of the pricing. They do look good. I'm wondering if they're going to be expensive as, say, the green label signature stuff. Yeah. Or if because it's not a signature model, maybe it'll be just a little less expensive. Yeah. So Istanbul does have a new jazz traditional jazz line out, but he's going to love this announced today. And I believe if I'm not incorrect, he plays for Yamaha. S Keith Carlock 
Is that Yamaha? He plays Gretsch. Gretsch. Yeah. Keith Carlock now has a new signature snare drum. I talked about that in the first ep- on the dummy episode. Did you remember? Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. Oh, in the like the test episode. Yeah, I talked about it. Yeah, because him and Grego both have their new signature snare drums. Well, nobody both, saw that. They're both brass. His is brass. Okay. Pit. Well, you know what? You hold on, buddy. <laughs> Since nobody saw that test stream, <laughs> and I thought I was ahead of the game. Apparently, I'm not. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna make Amber happy. I'm gonna cut to Jared. Jared, that's me. Jared, tell everybody about the new Keith Carlock and apparently the other guys' signature snares from Gretsch Drums. So Keith Carlock has his new signature model, which is a seamless brass shell. His is like the standard uh, 2.3, I think, or whatever like the standard brass size shell is. But his is seamless, I think, with no bead. It has that weird Gretsch thing, or does or does his have the beat? Because I'm getting both of them confused. Because they both have brass snare drums, um, and then but he's got that cool patina. Yes, on that's his. what I was gonna he's say. He cool... has the patina finish, which I love. Yeah, he's got the patina finish with the die cast hoops, um, lightning throw off and butt plate. You know, standard stuff. I think with regular twenty strand wires is on the bottom of it, but it sounds really cool. I watched his whole little demo video. Uh, well, wait. Why did I think... Did he play Yamaha? He used to, yeah. When did he switch to Gretsch? Years ago. Really? Uh, yeah, he played because his old videos, like his old ones, um, and nothing against him because I'm also a big guy. He's kind of like me. His weight fluctuates. And his older videos... When but he, plus, he's like like you. He's yeah. just a big guy. Yeah. In his older videos, um, he plays a Yamaha Phoenix kit with that natural to teal fade. That's what I'm used to. Yeah. Okay. And then recently, and this is probably in the last like 10 years or so, he's been playing Gretsch, and he only plays the Brooklyn series because that's what he likes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What about the other guy? Uh, Grego, his is a one-point-something mil uh, seamless brass shell, and his is also die-cast hoops and uh, the lightning throw. But I want to say that his is a 5 by 14 and I think the the Keith is five and a half. Five and a half, yeah. Yeah. Very slight differences across the two, but it's mostly the shell thickness is the big thing between their two drums. Well, and plus, like we said last week, you can't go wrong with brass. No. I mean, you know, nothing can go wrong with brass. So that's two good drums if you're into Gretsch. Obviously, if you're into Keith Carlock, which I don't know many guys that are not into Keith Carlock. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's from Clinton. Mississippi? Yeah. No. Yeah, he's from Clinton, Mississippi. Outside of Jackson. Yep. I did from, not know that. Nays from Clinton. Yeah. Man, see? You just can't. I'm, I say it all the time. They can make fun of us all they want, but there's so many guys that come out of Mississippi. Yep. And I really did not know that Keith Carlock was here. Well, that's awesome. If I ever run into him, like, hey, man, we're down on the coast. We're just a couple yeah. of Mississippi boys that's got a podcast. Why don't you uh, show some Mississippi so, love? love slide through, yeah. <laughs> We just gave your new stand drum a big boost from all the people that are watching. Because I really want it. It, I, it looks so good. Well, you're the Gretsch guy. Yeah. That's a, you know, I'm I'm the Ludwig guy. You're the Gretsch guy. I'm not going to say who's better, you know, Gretsch or Ludwig. That's just a whole nother conversation for a whole nother podcast. But you yeah. are, you are the Gretsch guy. Yeah. So. I, I can't fault you on that. Um, and I want to say that that was all I saw this week um, for new releases. Um, where did you see it that you saw it so so much earlier? Was it just on a Instagram it, page? 
yeah, it was it was teased um earlier, uh like a like past month or a month okay. and a half. Yeah, because I had both of them, and then because uh, you remember that DW does the distribution for Gretsch, mm-hmm. and so they actually had part of their show with DW show. And something we did talk about, I think, in the first or the second episode, I saw a live stream today with Stanton Moore. Like they're do, I feel so bad for New Orleans. They can't do Mardi Gras. Yeah. I was talking to Amber about this earlier. It's really weird. New Orleans literally, like they have blocked off with police all of the French Quarter, like downtown near Bourbon and that whole. Yeah. Like they've got the streets blocked off where you literally cannot crowd up. They're like they've really shut down Mardi Gras, and like it's odd who has picked up all the heavy lifting from Mardi Gras is like. Universal Studios, Bush Gardens, SeaWorld. These are all the places that are having Mardi Gras activities in yeah. the parks. I believe Mobile is still trying. Well, I mean, I say trying. I didn't even realize Mardi Gras passed. It was Tuesday. Yeah. Um, that's how low-key with everything that's going on Mardi Gras has been. I didn't realize till I looked at my phone's calendar on Wednesday, and it said Ash Wednesday, and I was like, I totally... Like Fat Tuesday passed us by, and yeah. I didn't even realize it. But I think them trying to preserve as much as they can in New Orleans. I saw a live stream with Stanton Moore, probably from Tipitina's, mm-hmm. with his little trio. And I didn't see, it looks like he's still just playing Zildjian's. I don't think they have gotten to making his his signature. Yeah, It seems like he's just playing either prototypes or regular, you know, I don't know what the, it looked like maybe his trash crash was a prototype looking yeah. thing, but I think like his ride and everything else looked like it was just, this is, this is the corrupt. So yeah. from what I saw, and I know we were talking about it previously, I don't think they have gotten around to actually making the great Stanton Moore, his new kingdom of symbols. So yeah, still, as we talked about, you know, previously, I'm very interested to see what Zildjian does. But like I said, Nam was so weird this year. It's kind of like stuff is really just trickling out. Yeah. When you see new releases or what's coming out, and I have just about all of the big drum companies and cymbal companies um, on Instagram and YouTube, and I haven't seen. Yeah, DW did their big like three hour show, but it's yeah. all all it's all chopped up between PDP gets a segment. Yeah. Then the hardware itself gets a segment, and yeah. then the actual drums. Get and a then segment. I saw Pearl has a 50th anniversary Philharmonic, which doesn't really do anything for us. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was a beautiful drum, and it has really, it kind of looks like a, a, a black beauty that's been engraved. Mm-hmm. It has, like, really nice hand engraving, but it's a Philharmonic. So if that is your, you know, if that's your gig, they have a beautiful, probably hyper-expensive 50th anniversary you know, symphonic model out. I'm so mad that I didn't jump on that one that Guitar Center had for sale for 250. What? Oh, a, a, a Pearl Philharmonic. I'm so glad or mad that I didn't buy that 75th anniversary <laughs> solid ply gold hardware snare off of Hugh that he tried to get me to get, and I just was like, "Oh no, I'm not having it." Now and now I see that drum go for a thousand plus. Yeah, when you'd win. You do see it on eBay, and I think all he wanted me to give him was like either six hundred dollars or six hundred dollars in trade. Yeah, for that snare, and it was a solid ply, 
uh, uh, no flange hoops, the clips, the hoops, and the tube lugs were gold. The throw-off was gold. It was absolutely beautiful drum, and I still kick myself this day to not, you know, I could get rid of every pearl <laughs> snare drum over here on the rack if I only had this one drum, but, you know, you live and you learn. Yeah. So that's all we have for news this week, and as more stuff trickles in that gets uh, newly released, we'll, uh, you know, try to keep you updated on that. So if you don't have any more news and we don't have any more comments... Uh, only thing uh, is from Spencer. He says, uh, "Have you played the Pearl Dennis Chamber snare drum, the six and a half by fourteen, the white opal one?" Um, he loves Keith's bass drum. I do too. And he said, "Ludwig for life." I, when the Sweetwater was doing that wish list giveaway, I put that Dennis Chambers five and a half by fourteen cast steel. I think is what it is. It's the one that's got the 10 lugs on the top and eight lugs on the bottom. And I think it's it, whatever it is, it's cast instead of spun or pressed. Um, super heavy drum, hyper expensive. I've never gotten to mess with that, but the one he's talking about, the Dennis Chambers original, I guess, signature yeah. model in the white finish, I did have. That is a really nice snare drum. Um, Number one, it's got, and it's been, dude, this has been 10 plus years since I had the snare drum. I want to say it has a three-point strainer. So you've got like really tight, kind of loose, and swampy loose. Yeah. Just from one position of the strainer without having to adjust the uh, the little strainer tensioner. So you can just be like tight, kind of loose, really loose. And it has, it's one of the very few um, Pearl drums, I believe, that has reinforcing rings. And it, I want to say it also has, like, it doesn't have a 45-degree bearing edge. It has, like, a 30 or, like, a baseball bat roundover. Like, it's it's a really it's a really fat drum, Spencer. Um, it's, got, it's got good attack, but it's a very warm and round drum. It's a super nice drum, and very occasionally you can see it on eBay for a good price. Uh, I don't remember what the brand-new price is. But I've seen it for around three or four on eBay, so that probably means that it's like a five ninety nine or six seventy nine dollar yeah. drum. I don't know. I know Doctor Wooten has one of the older models of yeah. his. With that's just the black one. Yeah, but it has the dip. But his has the different uh, snare wires that go across. It's because it's like a, it's like rope then actual wires, and then I forgot the third one. Yeah. I think it's like synthetic guts, but that's yeah. That's what that's one that's the ones that he has. Kind of like the Dave Weckl. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Spencer, to answer your question, if that is something you're interested in, I remember it being number one, a really nice drum. Very versatile because of that three point throw off and because of the reinforcing rings and I believe some kind of rounded bearing edge, not necessarily a sharp forty five, that it was a very fat drum and good for like pocket playing and things like that. Not that you couldn't tuned it up to have a lot of attack, but I remember it kind of natural being a real round and fat drum, but it was super nice. So if you are thinking about that, you know, I would, I would say, go. Well, for he it. just got it. He said, Oh really? Yeah. Nice. Um, if, if you can pop back in the chat, did you get it brand new or did you get lucky and kind of catch it on a sale, um, on eBay or something? Let us know. And if, if Jared sees it, we'll kind of continue that. But, um, either way, if that's all our news, that's it. Um, today's topic, 
um, is something that I have kind of touched on in a Bearded Drums regular video. And it's really a topic that you can't tackle in 12 minutes or whatever. No. I, you know, yeah. whatever my typical at the time, I kind of run videos shorter now, but I think at the time I did that video, um, I was running 12 minutes. You just can't discuss a topic like that in 12 minutes. Um, but um, we are going to be talking about today, does drum gear matter? Which is deep, controversial, yeah. or simple, yeah. and not controversial. Yeah. Um, Amber asked what we were talking about, and uh, I told her, and uh, she said, well, does gear matter? And I said, yes, and no. Yeah. So it's like a double, it's a double edged discussion. So that's what we're going to, you know, we're going to get into today. Yeah. It doesn't, but it does at the same time. Well, what I was thinking about the way we could do this and had you shown up on time early, we could have discussed this before the podcast, but I figured we would, what, and tell me if you, if you, if you, if you don't want to do it this way, we'll just answer the question. But I thought about breaking it up into two segments. Both of us give our opinion on why it doesn't matter. And then give our opinion or no opinion on why it does matter. Yeah, that sounds that good sounds to me. Fair. That's kind of like what I kind of had in mind on the way over here. Mm-hmm. He's just saying that because he was late. Lies. I've been thinking about it all week. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> and I'd have to say off the bat, I don't know how you feel. You probably feel a little different today because you've got those backup earbuds in. I want headphones. These, for some reason, when I play with these sure SE215s, they don't hurt my ears. But when I'm sitting here at the podcast, we're only 40 minutes in. They already hurt. Like they're pushing on the back of my ears. I think I have to get myself some headphones. Well, I use a, a cheap Bobo thing that I have to use at work for my little earpiece because yeah. I have a radio. And so this doesn't bother me at all. This is like kind of nice. because The other one makes my ear itch like crazy. These hurt. And I, I, I'm going to, if you see me messing with it, it's because this sure SE215 is pushing on the back of my ear. But anyway... <laughs> Um, so you, you, you take it away first, Jared, what would be your argument or explanation for drum gear, not mattering at all? Uh, a couple of prime examples. Uh, one is when we do like the Sunday jam, we play a Pearl Midtown, which used to be mine. Now Stevens, that is a four to $500 kit. Um, we play on your Istanbul symbols, which are. Roughly, yeah. These are not the expensive no. Istanbuls. These are the new Exist, which are not. They're great, but yeah. they're not expensive. Yeah. So they're like on average two hundred dollars a symbol. Um, we play on DW six thousand stands, which are three hundred for the whole set. Um, we use a basic pearl eliminator for our, or is it just a regular pearl? That's base? a pearl eliminator, baby. It's a pearl. It's just pearl eliminator. Uh. Foot foot pedal and then a first chair Tama throne. None of that stuff is egregiously expensive at all. It's all midline. Yeah, and it's great. Um, another thing is a good friend of mine that I've recently become friends with. I'm gonna tag him after this because I want to name drop and talk about him a lot during this. His name is Nathaniel Churchwell, aka Nate, is what I call him. He drums for a local band around here that's gaining a lot of steam uh, called N-Vision. It's the letter N, apostrophe, vision. 
Um, they do kind of like the the pop punk uh, kind of band kind of stuff. Oh, this is the guy that you told me about that had you tune his drums? No, different guy. Oh, okay. Um, and so Nate plays a old Ludwig accent with the hardware that you get. Um, the only fancy thing he's bought recently is uh, he plays a DW something double pedal because that's the music he plays, and he plays all S series Zildjian's. His kit is like the beginner set kit, right? I mean, nothing about it is egregiously expensive in any shape, form of the word, but it sounds good the way he tunes it up. And then for the music he plays, those cymbals cut through. Because he's playing with loud guitars, loud bass, synthesizers, and stuff going on. And so it sits super well in the mix. And like you don't need to... For what he, for what he plays, it's perfect. And he loves it. And uh, doesn't Ray also like the more brassy cymbals anyway? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has nice stuff. But I don't think he feels like he has to have yeah. K's or AAX or Artisan, you know. Um, so... I, I, like you, I know plenty of guys that get away. And like he said, that little kit we play on Sundays, yeah, that's probably really not even mid. That's probably considered a cheap kit. Yeah, that's popular. And I took, um, even though he didn't get there till late because he was working Sunday, I took the Sensitone, which is one step above Pearl's beginner drums. That's just their kind of entry level uh, main line. You know, there's several levels above Sensitone. That thing sounded awesome. Yeah. Being played with a $419 or $499 kit. And then, like he said, the Istanbul's that I've been in love with here lately, the Exist series, $200 on average. Yeah. I mean, you could get a set of hi-hats, I think, were the hi-hats, which is usually the most expensive thing you're going to buy because it's two there's symbols. two symbols. Yeah. They were 250 Yeah. Um, the ride was 199 the crash was one fifty, one six something. I mean, yeah. they're not expensive, so you know, I, at least so far, I would agree. You know, you're right as far as it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. why why does it not matter? Why does it not matter? I think it all comes down to the the player and the conviction, and then a lot of it, um, besides just from the player standpoint, is just tuning. I mean, you could take a, a cheap kit. Or anything, and then you put on just better heads. Or another really good example is how Hugh, how he does it, I do not understand, but Hugh can make a stock kit with stock heads sound like anything you've ever heard of. I mean, he, on that Catalina kit, he didn't, that I got from him, he didn't change any of the heads out. I had to change the heads out because he wanted them back. I've had to live with stock heads before, but yeah, you're right. Hugh can take a set of stock heads on anything. And but I mean, granted, his tuning skills are just obviously he's been doing it yeah way longer than us are masterful. Um, so yeah, I would agree with you though, f- thus far. Um, before I give my answer, I saw that Spencer had answered us about that snare drum. Yeah, he said he traded a guy for uh, I got oh let me reset this. <laughs> I traded a guy for his Pearl Dennis Chambers. For my new stock 5.5 inch Superphonic, I have a thing for six and a half inch snares. I use my six and a half Super more than anything. That's a good trade. Yeah, you can always get a Super. That's they're everywhere. Not that that Dennis Chamber is not easily accessible, but yeah, you can always go get a Super. 
when I traded you that super sensitive that I turned into a Supra, I can always go get that. That's not a big deal. That yeah. was a nineties model. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good trade. And being that you said you liked six and a halfs, I think you'll, you'll, I think you'll really in the long run, dig that Dennis chambers. I wish I hadn't got rid of mine. There's a lot of drums that I wish I'd have kept. And I do like the six and a halfs I do have, but I wish I'd have kept that one. It's a little, it stands out a little bit more than a, a typical six and a half. Like, like the pearl that I got from you, which I love. Yeah, it's just a standard Masters Maple six and a half by fourteen. Yeah, the Dennis Chambers. It's got reinforcing rings. It's got a more interesting uh, bearing edge. It's got the three point strainer. It's got that great kind of ivory finish um, or opal. Um, I I wish I'd have hung on to that. So yeah, you definitely I think came out really good for that trade. Anybody else before I dig into mine? That's it. Just Amber says she would agree with that. Of course. <laughs> Thank you, Amber, for agreeing with us on that one. Um, but I would agree, as far as the argument for drum gear, no, it does not matter at all. And I, I'll go f- so much further than him. It doesn't. It does not matter. It's the player and how they're going to hit the drum. Yep. You know, a good player hitting any drum, it could be a first act. Number one, he's going to know how to tune it. The way he hits it is going to make it sound good. I remember years ago watching a band play, a local band here, and they were kind of like a bluesy funk band. And the drummer had B8 hi-hats. Typical Sabian B8 hi-hats, 14-inch, which are 159 yeah. like really cheap, um, brassy high-end you know, hi-hats. They sounded amazing. Was it the cheap hi-hats that he was playing? No, it was that player in the way that he was striking those cymbals. Yeah. So I would say, no, it doesn't matter. You get any kind of drum set, and number one, if you know how to tune it, you can make it sound halfway decent. Yep. If you know how to tune it and can afford to put a good set of heads on it, yeah. now you're three-quarters of the way to sounding good. Yep. If you can tune well get good heads on it and you're a good player. Now, all of a sudden you're all the way up to it sounding good. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite ways to tune bass drums or rather muffle bass drums for that, like club style, nothing but attack, filling it up with pillows and covers, which I don't do on every drum, but on this one drum set I did, it was because I played a drum set at Watson's friend's house. Who was like the typical guy that has like, the man cave off to the side where it just has like a terrible drum set that you can just play. But he had this first act style, you know, really cheap bass drum stuffed all the way with covers and pillows with the cheapest one ply head on it. But because it was nothing but muffling, I would stomp on it and it was like, man, it sounded so good. Granted it was all attack. Yeah. But for that sound, it sounded perfect, and that's the way I typically will tune a 22-inch bass drum that I know is going to be played in a pop gig in a club because no matter how much time you spend on your bass drum tuning it and how perfect you think your Keith Carlock-style bass drum sounds, yeah. the guy in the pop club on the pop gig is going to dial all that out and give it nothing but low end around 40 to 80 and attack. Because yeah. that's all they want to hear. So I learned for those gigs, well, why spend all this extra time 
going for this beautiful, immaculate bass drum sound when they're just going to dial it out anyway. I'll just I'll make the bass drum sound like that. And I notice a lot of the times they didn't have to do anything because it was already there. Yeah. Um, so if you can tune and you can spend uh, what 80 to 100 dollars on a good set of heads. Yeah. And you're a halfway decent player then the gear doesn't matter at all. Cymbals or drums. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorite drums are inexpensive. The Pearl Midtown. Yep. I play it everywhere. Huge gigs, small gigs. Uh, that Pearl Sensitone Aluminum 5.5 by 14 couldn't be a $199 drum brand new. Yeah. That's one of my favorite snares. I hadn't played it in a long time and brought it out Sunday and totally reminded myself of why I love that drum. Um, cymbals is a little tougher because um, you can't alter them without anything egregious to yeah, it. Yeah. You can't really change the way a symbol's going to sound. If you can play well, the symbol's going to sound better. But I think if anything, and if you agree, please tell me if somebody were to ask, well, you know, I'm just getting started. Maybe you just got your first like paying gig or you're trying to really get into it. I would say don't focus on getting the expensive drum set. No, don't focus on getting an expensive snare. Nope. Get yourself a really good set of cymbals. Something that you can make the, even if you have to come out of pocket with a lot of money now, those really good cymbals that you're really happy with and are good quality last you, they could last you theoretically if you don't crack them, they could last you your entire lifetime. So doing things like that will really help you in the long run. So cymbals, maybe not so much. That might be the one area where you at least have to make some kind of moderate investment um, because you are paying for high-quality metal that you're going to be smacking so hard. But other than that, gear does not really matter. It is the player. It is the way you tune. And even in the case of you having inexpensive cymbals, if you play them well and know how to hit an, an inexpensive cymbal, it's still going to sound, you know, at least halfway good. Yeah, and then with today's technology, it is insane. I know, like, I watched, uh, his name's Jeff Randall. He's, uh, I like that guy. Uh, he did a whole breakdown of all of Zildjian's uh, lines of symbols and stuff, and he made those eyes sound amazing. I was even, you know, ready for that, but the eye family is a new thing that they did, which is, like, for someone who's been playing a while, uh, like practicing like getting out and wants to like figure out like you know what kind of sound do they want to go for it's still like an, a beginner kind of intermediate before you get to your A's basically it's like but they have chinas and trash crashes and funky hi-hats and stuff like that so you can kind of figure out what you are kind of leaning towards before you go and you make the jump and go into well I want a set of K's or I want a set of a's or a customs you know before you get into all the deep stuff it kind of helps you figure out where do you want to go one well, plus when you get into the k's or the artisans or the signature series istanbul's or the bosphorus whatever once you make that purchase you're stuck with them yeah i mean some places i think will be okay with taking a return if you maybe hit it a couple times but if you go actually play those symbols that's it that's it and if you spent God, a whole set of K's or a whole set of artisans or a, a whole set of Istanbul's, man, you're going to be running a thousand dollars plus. Yeah, that's a substantial investment to make. You better know that that is what you like. And like he was saying, with modern technology today, it's almost amazing what they can do. I've always wanted to try out Istanbul symbols, 
And if you do know about Istanbul symbols, you know that that green label signature series They're so good. of the Agops are beautiful sounding symbols, but they are also extremely <laughs> hyper extremely expensive. expensive. I priced out the Carter McLean. It's not his signature model, but it's the it's the it's the the China that he uses, which is that green label signature series. It was like full almost five hundred dollars for one symbol. And I just couldn't justify that kind of money. Never have laid my hands on the symbol. Of course, it sounds good when Carter plays it. Yeah. But he also Carter has... could make anything sound good. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, but I wanted to get into Istanbul. You know that I've kind of wanted to always. I've been saying it like, man, if I could just get my hands on some of that green label signature stuff. Well, then I find out about the Exist series. I started out with that Exist Dark. Um, 20 inch crash, which <clears throat> I know is a little different from the normal. So I can't really, I wouldn't personally loop in the dark series because they're going after a trashy dark sound and that's easy to do with a thin and expensive symbol. Yeah. So it didn't really surprise me that those symbols being that they were fairly inexpensive sounded great. Yeah. I kind of expected that when I got that ride in the ride I got in is a Istanbul exist. 21 inch just the regular exists not the dark dry series just the regular natural finish exist ride that was the one where i i didn't know because that's not a thin trashy stamped out symbol nope. that's been over hammered that looks like an aa or looks like a zildjian um just a a yeah um it's it's a it's a lathe symbol it's about medium weight um and it was that one was one ninety nine. Well, what can you get, and how good is a a, a, a professional ride symbol going to be for one ninety nine? I love it. Yeah. So I was shocked. I was not shocked when the dark one came in. I expected it to sound good. That one, I was actually shocked that it sounds as good as it does, and it's that inexpensive. So theoretically, I could get a whole set of Istanbul exists in the regular line of the exist for. Two, two fifty. That's four fifty. Say another one fifty for a crash. That's six. And if I wanted another crash, so that's around seven fifty. I could be in for a whole set, which is probably on par with a set of A's, a set of AAs, a set of A customs, um, of the other offerings from the major distributors. Um, so I'm really happy with that, and it goes to prove what Jared said: the stuff they can do these days with modern technology and cutting down on cost is really impressive. And I'm going to be looking into, you know what I'm doing right now, looking into more of these Istanbul exist symbols, hopefully one day being able to step up to a $500 yeah. signature series. But for now, for what I do, I'm happy with what has been purchased so far. Yeah. Um, I saw you looking at your comments a little bit. Yeah. Um, we got, R. Kaler, Star Classic or Neurosonic, is the former worth more sonically? <clears throat> I want to say Star Classic is the um, just the classic, just standard maple Tama kit with the die cast tubes, correct? Well, you could you could have gotten it back in the day. You could got it Babinga. You could have got it in maple. Oh, that's right, because it has. I forgot all about the different because yeah the Star Classic I remember yeah, yeah. got the Star Classic BB which is the Birch Babinga yep then they had the Walnut Birch I think yep. too yeah um so 
Star Classic or Neurosonic is a former worth more sonically. I know from looking at reviews, because I was kind of interested in getting a Neurosonic for like gigging until I got the the strata that I pieced together. Um, I know that a lot of guys with the older Neurosonics have been having issues with hardware. Like the bass spurs haven't been as beefy as they would like them to be and other things. To but, clear it up for anybody watching, that's Ludwig, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's Ludwig Neurosonic. It is... Uh, Maple and cherry, um, and they're around. I want to say like eight or nine. Um, I think at I know that Ludwig has addressed some of the issues recently with the Neurosonic kits. I think the Star Classics sound better and are cooler. For one, you get diecast hoops. I love diecast because you get a more focused sound because you get more mass against the head. Um, Tama just makes really good drums to begin with. If you guys have never watched the Drumeo documentary on, they went to the Tama factory and how it, all the drums are made. Really cool, extremely fine craftsmanship through all their stuff. Um, I am a little more over Tama's higher end line, even though I personally wouldn't play them from just my aesthetics as like I want a kit to look because I like the old school kind of vintage vibe. But if you're playing more modern music and want a more modern sound, I you really can't beat Tama because that to me are like the pinnacle of like you want to play like a modern thing, you play Tama in my mind. I don't know that much. You probably know more than I do about New Ludwig. I really don't know that much about New Ludwig. And I <clears throat> don't take this the wrong way when I say it because we were joking that eventually I was probably going to end up switching from Evans to Remo. Yep. Switching which has pretty much happened. I don't know how it happened, except for kick drum heads. I'm pretty much now in Remo. We were joking that I would probably switch because I was a total Sabian fanboy from Sabian to Istanbul, which has pretty much already happened and will continue to happen because I have up several Sabian symbols listed on eBay right now. And as they sell, they're going to get swapped out for new Istanbuls. Yep. So that's pretty much happened. And then he was he was really just joking that I would probably switch from Pearl to Ludwig. Yeah, that I could see happening. I think it's a that's a longer of a shot because, like I said, I know both of us know a ton about vintage Ludwig. We are by no means experts. No, but we do know a lot, and especially since I have been on a kick here lately of buying Ludwig vintage snares, I have learned so much about. Like before, everybody seems to go after the '60s um, Keystone badge stuff. Yeah, I go after the pioneers from the '30s. I want 1920s. I want old, not even playable drums. So I've learned a lot about all that. So we know a lot about vintage Ludwig. I don't really know that much about new Ludwig. I know that we talk about that horrible green color. I love it. You hate it. <laughs> he loves it. Uh, is it a? Is it a? Is it a? What is it called? That that kid is it a maple classic or? A, it's, a, it's a maple classic kid. And that Carter finish. McLean has one. Doesn't uh, Timbo from Kino have one? Yeah. Um, and then you said the guy, even though it's not in that finish, has the maple classic, the faded. Oh, okay. That's Jason McGreer. He, yeah, that's a Gretsch kit. Oh, is it a Gretsch? It's a Gretsch with that. Two-tone. Oh, but it's the, it's the two tone faded from that. Well, anyway. Yeah. We know a couple of guys that have that, in my opinion, horrible olive drab 
kit. I, think it's I know that's a good kit. Yeah. Um, I just don't know that much about new Ludwig. Yeah. Um, so that happening, maybe. I, I don't know. And now that now that we've kind of gotten into that rabbit hole, I can't even remember why I brought this up. <laughs> why we're talking oh the babenga the tama ludwig thing yeah so i don't know much about new ludwig so i can't really give an opinion on those neurosonics what i can tell you is i owned a tama babenga birch 8 10 12 14 20 ray hanser bought it off from me when i got rid of it and let me tell you like you said Tama tends to lend itself to metal, hard rock. It produces a very low attack base sound. Um, so that's why I didn't keep the drum. Because it really didn't produce the tones for like a funk, New Orleans-y, trashy kind of sound. It was really more an attack-based, very aggressive drum set. I sold it to Ray Hanser. Um, and I think another local band from around here ended up getting it. But I will say this. That was one of the nicest drum sets I've ever purchased. The hardware is top notch. Their die cast hoops are top notch. They tighten every screw down to that perfect tension. The shells, the finish was a lacquered sparkle finish. It was one of the most beautiful finishes I've ever bought. The inside of the shell was prettier than the outside of the shell. Yeah. That inside Babinga veneer was beautiful with a beautiful hand-signed paper tag on every drum. It seemed like it was one of the toughest drum sets. Like if you were to purchase a Babinga birch, which you can't anymore, if you don't know, uh, Tama had to stop producing Babinga because it's pretty much been, you know, they've, they've farmed all that stuff out and it's not, echo friendly so now they've gone to i think everything is really just like birch now that's either maple birch or walnut yeah um so if you do want a tama kit yes high quality yeah if that's the sound you're going for if you want a babinga and you can even find it even if you were just to buy it to put it in a box and try to sell it 10 years from now do it because those babingas or babinga birches are just going to go up and up and up in value because you cannot get them anymore. But to answer his question, if I had an offer an opinion, keep it in mind, I'm totally ignorant, even though I've seen videos on the new Sonics. Yeah. I would still say value for the money and really high quality. That Tama, I mean, you just can't beat it. Keeping in mind the, the Sonic differences between a Ludwig and a Tama are going to be night and day. Yeah. Ludwig's going to be a little bit more of a singing, open kind of drum with a beautiful tone. And Tama tends to be, even though it's a beautiful drum with great tone, it's an attack based, you know, really, like I said, they're kind of geared for hard rock, metal, death metal. Not to say that there are there are plenty of jazz guys and R&B guys that play Tama. Yeah, Erskine yeah. plays Tama. Yeah. Um, so I've always kind of considered them like a hard rock drum. But that may be just because that's the main part of their lineup, yeah. those hard rock guys. But they are beautiful drums. They're really good quality. Um, so I would say go for the Tama um, if I were to pick Gun to My Head right now. Yeah. And they he did comment that the, they put the new Elite Spurs, which I'm glad they did because that's been a lot of people's like gripe about that particular yeah. Neurosonic kit. It's just been the Spurs have just been. And awful. I don't know the... You'd have to look it up while while you're watching to see the difference between a new Tama 
walnut kit or if you could find a Bobinga Birch versus the price of the Neurosonic. I don't yeah. know how much of a difference that would be because obviously that's going to factor into it. Yeah. You um, got to think the, the the Neurosonic uses triple flange hoops, whereas the Star Classics come stock with die cast. And that's always uh, an upcharge for sure because die cast anything is not cheap. Yeah. And, it, you know, I probably would have said back in the day, always go with the die cast. But there's certain drums now that I like triple flanged on. Yeah. Like that little Ludwig 60s club date probably wouldn't sound that good with die cast hoops on it. Yeah. It sings really nice with the triple flange. Um, but I know that, like in Hugh's case, he really improved his uh, Catalina Club by switching out the triple flanged for die cast. Yeah. But that's kind of Gretsch's thing. Most of, the, not all of their high-end drums come with uh, either, like if it's vintage, it's obviously die single cast. flanged or, you know, like the, yeah. but like anything in the high end, the USA Custom, that's all die cast. So, you know, I like die cast, especially on my snares. Maybe for a vintage thing, I would say stick with triple flange, but it's really kind of, you know. It's all preference. Yeah. You know, more focused uh, attack with a die cast and a little bit more open kind of singing tone with a, a triple flange. Yeah. But I also would say either is probably a good choice. Yeah. I mean, Ludwig or Tama, you're still in the the big five yeah. of, of drum names, so I don't think you can really go wrong no. <laughs> with either of those no. choices. <laughs> um, Amber says, outside of quality, I would assume choosing an instrument slash gear that suits your style in terms of tone. Yes, but I think that's also another topic we have about the mojo. Yeah, that... Well, but I, I would say this. Yeah. And I've learned it lately here looking for drums built between 1910 and 1930. That's what I'm doing is what she's talking about. I am searching for a specific sound, um, which could lead us into the adverse answer of this whole question. We both just kind of gave our opinions on why drum gear does not matter Yeah. now. And I'll, I, I well, I'll let you go first. Um, what would be your feelings on the adverse that drum gear does completely totally matter inspiration is is my biggest thing um one you feel good when you get something new that you really enjoy that you really like that you i think like a little bit of prestige comes with whatever no matter what brand you're playing i definitely feel like say i've been playing you know some B8s, my, my like, like five-year career. Like, a, yeah, I've been playing these bright, pingy, brassy cymbals. And then I'm like, I want to get into something a little bit different. I'm going to get me an HH. doesn't matter what it is, or an HHX, or an, even an AA. You get a whole new cymbal, right? And then you're not, I believe, it, you get inspired. Like, I have this new thing, and you think about all the other guys who probably play this exact same cymbal. You might dive into them and think, okay, well... This guy plays that. What if I try to learn a little bit of that? And then, boom, you're trying a whole different playing style. You're now expanding your breadth of knowledge. You're now getting, you're kind of tapping into to other influences. And it's it's inspiring. It's, you know, you kind of build more of your own character a little bit. So I think drum gear does matter to a slight degree. No, I would agree. Yeah. Getting, and I don't care. You can disagree with this, but it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, nobody can deny you get excited 
when you get a new piece of gear. Oh, and yeah. this is not pertaining to drums. You get a new guitar, you get a new pedal, you get a brand new keyboard that you ordered off of Sweetwater this week, you get a brand new bass guitar, you get a brand new snare. You're going to be excited. Yep. And for that first day, that first week, or that first month, you're going to be giddy. You're probably going to play a little more bouncy and creative. You're going to be happy. You Like you said, you're going to be thinking about all the famous dudes that might use this which might give you inspiration to play a little different. Yeah. Maybe to play outside the box that you normally would play in. So yeah, first of all, gear does matter because really simply just getting a brand new piece of gear, inexpensive or expensive, yep, will give you some excitement. So when people talk about gas, which is gear acquisition syndrome, I can kind of under, understand gas a little bit. Don't go overboard with it, but I can understand the excitement of getting a new piece of gear and what it does. It happened when I got those Istanbul's in. Yeah. It happened when I got the Ludwig uh, Junior Orchestra Snare that was a vintage piece I got in. You know, it, it, it really does, you know, add to the excitement. But please continue. Yeah, so as... Some of you guys who watched last week know I have tons and tons of stuff. Um, Steven can also uh, tell you about it. I have a lot of stuff. I mean, I have over 20 snare drums, over 12 kits. Do I need all of them? No. But when I, each each drum that I have or each kit that I have... Um, I get a little. I I play a different way with everything. So if I'm, you know, on my older Ludwig kit, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I get a whole like different mindset, like swaps. Okay, so I'm playing on the Ajax kit I get from Hugh. I'm playing more bop stuff the way it's tuned. I know I got it from Hugh. Hugh's a big jazz guy. That was his bread and butter for years and still is. I mean, he plays Dixieland now, which is just an offshoot of just jazz. So I'm. Anyway, okay, so I'm thinking, what gigs have Hugh pl- has Hugh played this on? And I try to, you know, I get inspired by playing. Channel the that. spirit. Yeah, yes, channel the spirit of the instrument you're playing. You know, I'm not going to take, you know, like a, a massive 8 by 14 marching snare drum and go out and play light finesse work on it. I'm being inspired by, it's a deep drum, I want a deep sound, I'm playing thunderous, it's going to yeah, be knocking it. into it. Yeah, you know, so each kit I have, kind of, I have a different way of playing behind each kit and I kind of put and I have each kit tuned differently with different heads uh to just to to be more creative. I mean, do you have to have all those kits? No. You can just tune your drums differently. But for me, in multiple ways, I'm thankful and fortunate enough to own multiple kits and cymbals with different sounds. So no matter what I'm trying to do to be inspired or creative, I can be like, okay, I want this more trashy sound. Crash of Doom goes up. Well, I want to have something more nice and glassy and smooth. I bring out the K Custom Dark because it's what I played for years, and that to me is like home base. And I'll pull it. Okay, cool. This is my vibe right now. You know, it's just. I would agree because, and <clears throat> maybe to even go a step further, Hugh talked about it in that snare drum documentary I did. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it. I I'm really proud of it. It's called The One. It's on my channel. It's about three drummers that I interviewed, Jarrett being one of them, about their favorite snare drums. But in that section where Hugh was getting interviewed, he also talked about, which I don't think a lot of people take into account, 
the way the drum looks. Yeah. Which is probably the last thing you would think of. Well, like, obviously, isn't it how well it's built, the way it sounds, the the tones it produces. But a lot of it, I think, is the way it looks. Because I think just subconsciously, you're going to react to a blue sparkle drum a little bit differently than a dull, like, nickel over brass from the 30s. Yeah. You know, I think, and he talked about it, you know, the, as far as the, the way the drum looks, he loves white uh, marine pearl, which is a very classy looking drum. It's the way big band drums looked. So you might be thinking a little more classy in your head and a little more traditional with some swing music. So I think that would definitely affect um, the way you approach your playing. So from an appearance standpoint, Yes, it totally matters. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to affect you whether you want to admit it or not subconsciously. Um, the way a colors, you know, like they, they say that red makes you hyper and greens are like a or like a, a Robin's egg blue is a soothing, calming color. Yeah. And red is a kind of hyperactive color. So say I would argue that if you subconsciously. If you had a red sparkle kit, which is about the brightest, loudest red you can get, yeah, would make you play significantly different than a stained kit that was in like a robin's egg blue. It might calm you down a little bit, and your playing might be a little more subdued and smoother. So, to t like I said, to take it a step further than what you were saying, I think other than hunting for different tones, that the look of the set the age of the kit is it brand new does it have you know say maybe a brand new kit that's perfectly clean might make you play super clean and super precise as if you were handed some 1930s painted bass drum ludwig and it's all chipped to and it's all and chipped and the snare drum is dulled out and it's trashy sounding and it looks like you might be a little swampier with your play yeah so i would argue that uh gear totally matters especially from an appearance standpoint, because if you don't, whether you want to admit it or not, if you don't love the way your drums look, you're not going to be truly happy with them. Even if no. you're truly happy with the perfect sound, you're always going to say, oh, but I wish it was in blue. Yeah. Or I wish it was in red. Or I wish it was in green. So he was saying hunting for tones, which I do the same thing. You have 20 snare drums? Yeah. I have 10. And I, you, we've talked about this last week. If you put a gun to my head and said you have to keep two snare or you have to only keep what you need, I would only need two snare drums. Like you said, a wood and a metal. Yep. Give me one of my maple ones and give me one of my brass ones. But every one of these drums, if I were to line them up here on stands, they all sound different uh, in tuning and, of course, the fundamental tone because this one's brass and this one's maple and this one's 100 years old and this one's 20 years old. Yeah. Um, so when I reach for the 1930s Ludwig orchestra snare, I'm looking for a raspy, bucket, trash-sounding snare as opposed to when I grab that 65 by 14 pearl brass-free floater. I'm looking for clean perfection. Yeah. You know? So I think a lot of what matters for gear is being able to find the sounds that you want to produce and the tones, whether you're in a bad mood and it's been raining and you want to sound like Stanton Moore or Adam Deach and play like a trash can or whether the sun is, the sun is shining, the weather's perfect and you want to sound like Buddy Rich with super clean tones. Yeah. Um, a lot of that is going to factor in 
based on what gear you have. Uh, do we have? I see you keep looking down. Do we have any? Uh, any incoming? We just got, we got a lot of stuff from. Well, hey, yeah, the, we, the, we can we got time. We can yeah. pause this uh, conversation and let the comment section roll. Yeah. Um. So to catch back up, um, Spencer said I would start with fresh heads, top and bottom to begin. I would also do that. Um. You can make a drum sound better, but cymbals are zero sum. Uh. R. Kaler, I would agree with that. Totally agree with the simple comment. He says, I play Piety because of their consistency. I love a set of Ks, but I spent that much money on a Renown. Thank you for getting a Renown Gretsch kit. They're great. I have a snare drum, 6.5 by 14. I love it. They're nice. Yeah, and the Renowns are basically... They're not expensive. Hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they are of good value, but yeah. it's not like it's a DW's collector edition. No, and they sound almost the same. Yeah, I love yeah. them. They're, they're super nice. It's, it's, it's maple. Maple is maple. Maple is maple. Yeah. Um, let's see. Then he, then R replied about with the newer Intersonic Elite Spurs. Yep. Uh, Spencer said, I love Tama and Ludwig. I think it. And then he goes, I think the Neurosonics have great tone. Are you guys drum yum members? I am not. Um, I'm currently trying to figure out where do I want. I really want private lessons from someone. Because um, all these it course It seems based... worth it. They are. Yeah. I mean, they are Drumio. Yeah. That's probably one of the greatest resources ever created for drums. Um, I watch all of their videos when they come out. I don't know that I would pay um, to be the the standard Drumio member. Yeah. I don't know really what the benefits are, to be honest with you. But I get enough. I ingest enough just from their YouTube videos. Yeah. That's a, too much for me. Like, I'm yeah. never going to get around to everything they put out. But I do know. I did pay shortly for... Is it called Recordio, which is their, the guy that runs their booth has mm. the Recordio half of it, which is all production and stuff like that. Yeah. I know that was worth it. So I would imagine Dromeo is obviously probably worth it. That Those guys do really great work. And they have great guys that also come out and do all those lessons too. It's not like yeah. Bob Bob Jones down <laughs> from OCP comes in and talk about whatever. No, no, I lo- I've, no I've you- never, I don't think I've ever seen a drumio video I didn't like, even if it was a metal drummer and I could care less about metal. I learned something and they're always high production. They're super nice guy. I mean, I, I, I really don't have anything bad to say about them. It's probably well worth the money. I remember when I first got my drum kit, watching the really old Jarrett Falk when he had his hair was super spiky <laughs> and he was even lankier than he is now. And I remember he had, Oh, God, I think it was a, I think it was a Tama kit that he showed you how to play a basic rock beat on, and I remember watching that and I was like, so I think it was called Free Less Free Drum Lessons dot com. I think was the original Drumio. Yeah, was what it was called, and I watched that religiously uh, when I was learning how to play because I, I had. I remember when I was learning, there was no internet. I didn't have. <laughs> I had to go down to Pinkston's and buy the VHS for like thirty nine ninety nine. To get anything, so now I'm just I'm, I'm dating myself right now. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, Kaylor says I think Pearl and Tema have the most to offer in terms of their lineup. I'd That's include, right. I'd Pearl in- ruling the game. False. I would include Mapex as well. The rest seem to be high end or low end without any serious intermediate options save the Renown. Um, Mapex. Nothing against them. I own a Mapex snare drum. I'm currently looking at their the cheapest copper snare drum is one that Mapex owns. It's yeah, a, it's a Black Panther. 
Um, outside the Black Panther range, Mapex just to me just looks. It's the logo and then the lug design. I mean, they make great drums, but aesthetically, to me, it is not very pleasing. It just something just seems off. Out all the Black Panther stuff, I love it, but I agree. But the Mapex line itself is just a little. I owned a. What the top is Orion, so the second one down is a Saturn. Yeah. I had a Saturn at one point, 22, 10, 12, hanging 14, hanging 16. The Terrible. Steve Gadd. But I have to admit, beautiful finish, awesome shells, super thin shells. Um, other than the fact that I was dumb enough to buy a hanging 14 and a hanging 16, there, there's nothing to say bad about them granted this was around 2005 yeah now i would agree with you their logo their lugs not their finishes but like the logo and the lugs and the way some of the hardware looks i don't want to say cheap yeah because it's not cheap but it looks like i don't know it's it's very hard to explain like you said all i can say without being mean, is yeah. it's not aesthetically pleasing at all. No. And that new mount system they came in with, that magnetic Mars mount or yeah. whatever, that's like this big. I don't know what they were thinking. I'm sure it's cool. It may work. It does. It's super neat when you watch the but video. But it's also like 80 pounds per tom yeah. for this thing. So they are a great drum company, but I'm with you. If we do care about what our drums look like, and that does subconsciously affect the way we play, yeah, I can't do no, I can't do a Mapex kit. Mm-hmm. You know, they are great. Russ Miller, I believe, still plays. Yeah, he does. Um, he has that new Versius, whatever it's I called. I just that, can't. I just can't do it. Yeah, it's just it's just something about it just looks off, and I just I agree. And but I think going back to either the first episode or whenever we were talking about it, we can say this about 2021. Nobody makes terrible drums. No. I don't care who it is. Um, even the cheap drums have gotten to where they're okay. Like yeah. Gretsch, great. Ludwig, great. Pearl, great. DW, great. Mapex, great. I mean, on and on and on. I can't really think of even like some of the weirder, not custom brands, but like D-Drum. Yeah. They make a great drum. Dixon. Dixon makes a great drum. I can't really think of a bad drum company that I just really have like smack to talk about. Yeah. You know, so I don't think you can really go wrong with today and with the internet, the way it is, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to find the perfect drum kit. If you watch a thousand hours of videos on one particular drum set, you should know, well, this is for me or this is not for me. Yeah. And most places, guitar center and Sweetwater, if you don't like it, they'll probably take it barring cymbals snare drums and drum kits, they'll probably take it back if you're truly not happy with it. Yeah. Granted, I've been lucky enough to never really have to send anything back. Well, I had to send that one crash of mine when I got those Avidus new, remember? You got that one that was shipped to you, chipped or something? Yeah. And I was like, hey, this is not good. And they're like, how long have you had it? I go, check the date. I've had it. 20 even, minutes. I haven't had it 20, and I'm in 24 hours. I'm like, can I send it back? They're like, yeah, that's not good. I had to send pictures and stuff. Yeah. I put it back in the box. And if you're obviously honest about it and they can tell you've had it less than 24 hours, the picture you send them, there's maybe a stick mark or two. Obviously something's wrong. I even play it. 
I I just took the picture and I put it back in the box and sent it to him. I was like, yeah, this is for for over three hundred. I'm like, come on, man. But I mean, even inexpensive symbols, Dream has gotten so much better. Yeah. Over the years, and that's really inexpensive. I remember when Dream really wasn't that good, and they have gotten, especially now that they've got like Scott Pellegrim playing with them. Yeah. They've gotten some good artists on with them, and they've come out with. What is that? Dark matter. Yeah, series. dark energy. Dark energy. They've got some good stuff. I don't really remember a time around here when somebody carried enough of the dream to really check it out, the good stuff. But I do know from watching videos and when Scott Pellegrim jumped on with them, they do put out so you can get good stuff. Bliss from Dream. Yeah, I used to have a set of Bliss symbols. I had hi hats and a ride and a crash. They're great. Yeah. You know, of course, no, it's not a K, but the price difference is obviously not the same either. Yeah. So you can't really go wrong um, these days. Uh, anything else? Uh, let's see. Zach Gouliedge says Heritage Green. That is the correct color is Heritage Green. Yes, that's what we're talking about that. I like Jared it. Jared loves it. I'm going to I'm gonna remain silent on the Heritage Olive Drab World War II Green. Yeah. See, uh, then Kaler says, agreed, read Tama, very oriented towards rock and metal. I see Funk and RB guys mostly playing on Gretchen Pearl. That's pretty honest. Uh, David Superant. Oh, David. David, before he jumps into your comment, I'm glad you're here. David Superant is great about commenting on regular drum videos. And I've always had good interactions with David through the comment section. And I have been hoping that you would get into one of these live videos. So I'm glad that you're watching now. Um, and also just on a personal note, David, you had asked previously about some of the paintings that Hugh does that were featured in that, the one video. Yeah. And I have gotten with him and I'm going to try to get him in contact with you, maybe through email where you could see about, I don't know if he's willing to sell or do a high quality print. Um, but just, just so you know, I know it's been a while since we talked about it, that I'm trying to get in touch with him because you're not the only one. If y'all go watch the Gretsch Catalina club video, yep. or if you watch the documentary, I did the documentary, I did the one you will see behind, uh, the drum set on Hugh's walls. Hugh is a really talented painter. Oh yeah. He does paintings of like drums but he also does like seascapes and stuff like that so if you check any of those videos out throw me a comment and let me know that you liked it because when i see hugh i let him know every time somebody tells me something good about his paintings but david yes i'm going to try to get y'all in touch with each other maybe through email to try to set that up i haven't forgot about it but yeah get to his uh his comment he said do you still have that pro reference kit you mean the pearl purple reference? I don't. Th <clears throat> Obviously, they would not know this. Yeah. Yes, I do have that pearl reference kit. I am never getting rid of it. But <clears throat> just in a little surprise, and I didn't know it until I met Jarrett, which. Yeah. How long has it been now? Probably um, two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. So when Jarrett showed up the first night at the juke joint, 11 o'clock or something like that. Yeah. He did like all the guys do. He comes up to me and he's, uh, I think he had talked to Matt first. Yeah. That's the one, you know, to go ask like about, can I jump up and sit in? And Matt goes, you know, here, this, 
like we always do. Here comes another guy that, you know, wants to jump up on the kit. And I'll be honest, most of the time, it's not a good experience. Some of the time it is when local players come out. But like when it's just some random dude, it's a lot of the times a drunk guy. Yeah. Or just somebody that can do a typical boom, pat, boom, pat, boom, pat, pat. Uh, that's all they can do. And they yeah. want to get up and play. So it's like, here's another guy that wants to sit in. And I'm like, okay, you know, of course, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Oh, my name's JT. You know, can I sit in? And before he even got up to the kit, he starts drum talking with me. Mapex this, Ludwig that. And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, maybe this kid knows something. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, he gets on the kit and he, he kills it. You sat in for whatever, three, four, five songs and handled all the tunes perfectly. And here we are two years later. Yeah. A couple of bearded drummers live podcasting spitting drums back and forth. Well, David, that drum kit was Jared's originally. Jared got it from drum um I got that kit from Guitar Center. It belonged to a guy named also Steven. Um but he played for some band that he got endorsed by Crush Drums. And so I went to Guitar Center, traded in a bunch of stuff, traded in a Renown kit, a Tama Superdrive kit, a bunch of cymbals, which I'm dumb for doing, but I wanted that kit so bad I didn't care. I traded in a bunch of gear, got that kit and that uh, Maple Masters that Steven mentioned he got from me. I got those, that snare drum, it's that 10, 12, 14. Played it for a while, could not get the bass drum to sound right. Then I traded that kit to Hugh, uh, no, to Pat McGinley for a 2000s. Yamaha Absolute Maple Custom, which I still have. And I remember that night when I met you, you're like, yeah, do you know Pat McGinley? You're like, yeah. Well, you traded the 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 reference to Pat yeah. to get the Yamaha Absolute Maple Custom. Yep. I had a, which I got from, it's funny. If, you, if you're from around here, you would know the joke, and it's pretty funny. All these kits and snares float around Pat, Jarrett, Hugh, and myself. Yep. And that's what we call the family. And nobody really cares what happens to the drum as long as it stays in the family. And there are certain drums that have floated around that like Jarrett has a snare of mine that he knows he can't sell unless he comes to me first and gives me the option. And I can either say, yeah, I'll trade you this for that or I'll buy this from you. Or if I can't, then obviously you can go sell it. But we yeah. have the family. So Jared trades the reference to Pat for the Absolute Maple Custom. I go into Pinkston's. One day, and I see the reference sitting in the corner. It's Pat's at this point. I had a mint condition Pearl uh, Rogers. What is that called? A Hollywood that I was supposed to get from Hugh in Blue Sparkle 2012 16. The 16 had the upside down pedal to make it the 16 a cocktail drum. The 16 inch floor tom had a mount for the snare drum and the tom, so you could take. The 16 is a cocktail snare drum with the snare and the tom on it. It was a beautiful kit in mint condition. I traded it to Pat to get the reference. Totally happy with my purchase. Yeah. And then eight years later, I meet up with this kid and find out at the juke joint at about midnight yeah. that the Pearl reference I am playing was actually his, and he was dumb enough to get rid of it, and I have it now. I don't regret it at all because I've – Mm -hmm. Played that no, I've played that Yamaha for years. That thing has been with me through countless, countless gigs. 
Love it. Love it. It's a, it is for me, the pinnacle of Pearl. You could go with a reference pure. You could spend the insane money to get some masterworks, but that Pearl reference is, it's never not sounded good. No matter where I've taken it. That is the perfect modern kit for me. I don't need another modern kit. It is 20, 10, 12, 14. <clears throat> it was, oh man, it was a hanging floor, Tom, but we I'm fixed still, all that. I'm so upset of all the things that you and Pat did to that kid. Hey, I'm I'm only responsible for that. Him and Hugh are responsible. It was a virgin bass drum, and they made it uh, the double post mount for the Pearl. That's on them. I prefer that, so I'm totally happy with it, but I cannot have a hanging floor, Tom. I had to put legs on that thing and now it is it is oh so perfect in my opinion they make cradles for that but that's fine <laughs> um we digress um let's see oh we had a bunch of stuff okay so there's green so they sell the kit um how do you rate dw vis-a-vis heritage brands i guess versus heritage brands ludwig grudge sonar and japanese big three DW is for, I would believe, a certain type of person. Um, I own a DW kit, so I get to see kind of the hype behind it. But one, those are some heavy drums. They are hefty. Like they're not light. I mean, they're they're heavy. Um, you have the great John Good prestige behind all the the wood that's picked and everything and then every shell is stamped but i think once you put heads on in hardware that fundamental tone gets moved around but that's just my opinion and you're all every opinion is valid unless it's extremely mean um i mean like we said there's nothing bad do i think a dw collector's kit is worth the the three plus grand me personally speaking i do not unless you get exactly what you want for it like, if you want it to be some crazy sunburst finish with the cherry veneer that comes through with the custom satin hardware and you want everything all to match and be neat and pretty and it'd be exactly down to the millimeter size that you want, go for it. But at the same time... I would agree. And I, I feel about... <clears throat> keeping in mind that all drum brands are great. Yeah. Nobody produces anything terrible. I feel about DW's collector series the same way I do about A and Yes, that's right. Are they super nice? Yes. yes. Are they of the highest quality? Yes. yes. Do they sound great? Yes. yes. Are they worth thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars? No. I just, I can't, I, I, I really, I'm so torn and I don't want to, I don't want to talk smack because I'm really not. No. And I understand, I understand the point of the luxury model. Yeah. Like, and the every, prestige you know, like I get it. Porsche, yeah. I get Lamborghini or Bentley or anything like that. My problem with that price range is, and I get what they're going after. They're not going after us. Us, yeah. They're going after, obviously, somebody that can afford, on average, 
a base price of around $3,500. We're talking for a kit. No snares, no hardware. Nope. We're talking for a drum set. And that's my main issue with things like A&F. I, every time I've seen something A&F that I really liked, and the problem with A&F is even worse than DW, is their a la carte. So yeah. everything is ordered. Bass drum has to be ordered. Tom has to be ordered. Floor tom has to be ordered. Snare drum has to be ordered. Anything extra that you want done to those drums. Every time I've gotten the calculator out and tallied up what D, uh, A&F would be, it's always been around $4,000. Yeah. And that's, again, before, say I didn't have anything, that would be before a throne, hardware, and cymbals. Yeah. So you're getting into the $6,500 range. That's just a few thousand dollars less than my car. Yeah. That is too much. Do I think they're worth it? Of, as far as quality and sound, yeah. yes, A and F sounds great. DW sounds great. I just can't reconcile that much money. No, not when you could get, and I, I don't mean lesser as in quality, but lesser priced DW at a guitar center for sixteen hundred. Yeah. That is maple. That has die cast hoops. That has a great either lacquered finish or just a really nice wrap on it. I unless you are the luxury buyer, I really that's so hard for me. And I and it and obviously a lot of it has to do with the fact that I don't have six thousand dollars. Yeah, and I don't have six thousand dollars worth of room on my credit card to do something like that. So yes, I do understand guys that want that. Um, I just. I, I, it's tough. Yeah. That's such a tough question. Now, as far as he was saying with everything else, you know, I think DW and A&F are the outliers. Everybody else is pretty manageable. He mentioned the big, what, three or five yeah, Japanese. big three Japanese. Um, you know, Yamaha is great. You can get a great Yamaha kit without an arm and a leg being spent. Yep. You can get great Tama. Yep. You can get, what's the brand, um, Sakai? Yeah. Man, that's, if you want... The older Yamaha sound, apparently the Sakai's are, are that. Yeah. Are, are that. Um, Ludwig, amazing. Gretsch, amazing. Pearl, my personal favorite. And I would think, really, I've had Pearl Visions. They sound great. Yep. I play same. a Pearl Midtown now, which is the lowest rung before you get to the child stuff. Yeah. Um, I've had Pearl Masters. Amazing for the money. I've obviously got a reference, and granted, I didn't have to pay for the reference. All I had to do was trade for it. Yeah. But I still had to give something up of value. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really, it all depends on what you want for your tone to be, which yeah. is obviously, that's hard to figure out. I know before I ended up where I am today, I played Tama, I played Gretsch, I played PD, I didn't get to play DW, I played PDP. I played vintage Rogers, vintage Gretsch, vintage Ludwig. I went through Mapex, um, went through Zildjian, went through Bosphorus, went through Sabian to finally end up with, I like Ludwig vintage. I like Pearl modern and I like, well, it used to be Sabian, but now it's Istanbul, but yeah. it took me 20 years to figure all that out. So I don't think, or at least maybe the advice would be, don't throw the big money out till later in the game. Until you know for sure yeah. exactly what you like. Yeah. Um, and maybe that next turn for me is possibly looking at throwing money at Ludwig. Yeah. Because um, I do 
I love vintage Ludwig. Um, and there's not to say that the, uh, maple classic is probably not the perfect way to go. Um, in the Ludwig brand, maybe like an 18, 12, 14. Look at you getting to my neck of the woods. Well, I mean, if, if I've got the Midtown, that's yeah. 16, 10, 13, if you really want to know what would probably be, be perfect for me, even though it's an odd setup for that size kick drum, it would be 10, 12, 14, 18. Never play both of them up top at the same time, but either have a 12 or switch it out for the 10. You're getting a little. You're looking a little, a little close to the old Elvin Jones kind of setup. Yeah. Yes, I love 18s. That's why I would still say I don't care what kind of music you play, anybody can be happy with a Catalina Club. Yeah, that is the perfect kick drum in my opinion. It can be tuned boomy. It can be bo- uh, uh, tuned attack wise. Yep. It's something about the 18 is like, even though it's not in the middle of the range, it just sits so well in the middle of tone. If you want boomy or if you want punchy, something about an 18 is just, man, I really miss having an 18. But I would say that would be the caveat is I couldn't get away with an 18, 12, 14 all the time. I would have to have that 10 to switch it out because that's what I do with the Pearl half the time. Half the time the 10 is up and half the time the 12 is up. And I'd go back and forth. So that would be, if I could get, I know that's not a standard configuration offered for the maple classic but if i could get an 18 10 12 14 and a glitter finish yeah like a red glitter oh that would be uh, no okay now no red glitter oh I don't shut do up red. i don't do red <laughs> any other red is com- gross any other comment? god there's so many it's well, that's just, good number so one nice. thank you guys this is exactly what we want is for you guys to interact yeah. um we should link up with terry keating from Bonzalium, that's the guy that has all those cool uh, Ludwig, old Ludwig kits and shows you how to play, like how Bonham does. Um, see, there's so much material in Drumio. I'm currently going through the Recordio with the free Drumio part of it. Had everything you've ever need to record drums. Awesome series. Ben Spencer, I mentioned about Mapex. Looks cheap. Um, R. Kaler, unrelated to gear, but why doesn't Alex Van Halen and Nico McBrien get the recognition they deserve? Anyone can play Tommy Lee's beats. I digress. I could I could say this in regards to Alex Van Halen. And bear with me to the end before you get mad at me. <laughs> Just based on what I grew up listening to and what music I gravitated to as a younger kid, I was never a fan of Van Halen. Yeah. I never liked it. I remember as a kid hearing Panama. I rem- yeah. <laughs> I remember hearing all that and it was fine. I I tell you what I did love as a kid only because this is back in the day when MTV used to actually run videos. Yeah. Was the um California Girls video. That if you've never seen it, go on YouTube and type in Van Halen California Girls. That is one of the coolest videos. And I remember not giving really a crap about the song. I yeah. just thought it was the coolest video because David Lee Roth was so cool. He had all these costumes on. There were pretty girls on the beach. That's really all I have to go on for Van Halen. I'm not a rock guy, I'm not really much of a rock and roll guy. So I never cared. And if you would have asked me up until about a year ago, I probably would have smack talked. Alex Van Halen yeah. and said something similar to what you said about Tommy Lee. I probably would have said, oh, he's just a dumb 
ape drummer with big arms swinging sticks around and bashing. Yeah. Until the band suggested that we learn, um, not Panama, the one that y'all try to play at the juke sometimes, um, uh, with the weird bridge. We were oh. just talking about it. Um, uh, jump? Yeah. So, if you've never listened to Jump, the head, the actually, chorus... Actually listen to yeah, Jump. Yeah, actually listen to Jump. The head, the verses, the chorus, it's all straight. Until you get to the chorus. I mean, the, the bridge. bridge. And the bridge, being that it's still, I believe, in 4-4... It is. He displaces all of his hits, keeping the one right where it is, but everything else gets moved so oddly and so far apart. It is one of the hardest things I ever tried to tackle and never really successfully did it. It is such a hard bridge to play, to be such a simple song. Yeah. And I had to admit, after failing miserably several times trying to learn that bridge, I had so much respect for Alex Van Halen as a, not as a drummer, as a musician. Yeah. Because that took not only a real, a, a ton of skill, but a ton of creativity to take something that is simple, like 4-4, four, four, and really follow what uh, uh, the guitar player, um, Eddie. Eddie, is doing, and come up with such a creative bridge in conjunction with really what the whole band is doing. He gets a ton of respect in my book, and I would never, ever sully the name of uh, Alex Van Halen. Yeah, it's all eighth notes. I was looked up trying how to learn how to play it and sheet music. It's all eighth notes. It's all it is. But the way he just displaces it, moves it, it's, I mean, it's the same thing. They're like, I was saying, lots about David Garibaldi. It's all eighth notes, but the way he plays it, it's the way it, he plays it. It doesn't make and it. I, it. So, like I said, yeah, Tommy Lee, I, I really was never a fan of Motley Crue. I love Motley Crue. Um, and I, I'm neither here nor there on on, uh, on Tommy Lee, but I'll admit and agree with him that Alex Van Halen, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. You know, I would never. I would have up until about 38 years old, and now I'm like, yep, I don't like Van Halen, but wow, what a great drummer. Yeah. You know, with a huge drum set, and then the tiny little 16 on his left side in the 90s and 80s was a cooler full of beer and not a bass drum. <laughs> I don't hope you, I hope you didn't know that. Cause you just learned something. One of those 18 bass drums on that kit was actually a refrigerator <laughs> for liquor. <laughs> I love it. Um, let's see. Spencer says, love the sound of Gretsch renown on DCP's YouTube. That'd be drum center Portsmouth. I just didn't like the sunburnt fade or whatever the finish was. And then Kayla replies that sold me on the renown over the star classic. Nothing against Drum Center Portmouth, but the way they record their videos just drives me nuts. It Nothing against them. I go against the grain when it comes to tuning, and a lot of these guys now, I see the the big shift in how drums are tuned. Everything is tuned super low or just above wrinkle, and then all these snare drums are just like big, wet garbage cans, and the, the snares are barely hanging on for dear life. And it just drives me nuts. I, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like in most of their videos, they use, they rely on the room mic. 
Because that's the most truest sound of yeah, the Yeah, I would agree with that. But I would also occasionally like to hear a close mic and just leave the EQ flat. Yeah. Because a lot of the times, that room mic, even though it's the truest or most natural sound, it makes me not like the drum I'm hearing. I don't like the way they sound. And they're not the and not saying that my tuning is any better, but the way I tune drums to me, it just sounds so off and they just tune them so weird to my ears. Nothing wrong, but they I also don't tune kits for a modern setting. Well, but and I do love what they do. Yeah, I'm highly appreciative of all the comparisons that have all these sweet things. And he's uh, the guy, I forget the owner. Shane? Man, that guy's knowledgeable. Yeah. Like, I mean, as far as, it's almost like he's so knowledgeable. Don't listen to the video. Call the store and ask his opinion. Yeah. Because he's going to give you, number one, a, a very honest and, you know, in some cases, probably brutal opinion on what the, you know, of that snare, or that symbol. Um, but I would almost trust his opinion more because I, I, I know it's the true sound with the room mic, but that's not how I judge a snare or a symbol. And every other video I've ever watched that I was looking for a symbol or a snare drum and they close mic'd it or they used an overhead based on that sound. Once I purchased that, I was always happy. Yeah. So I never felt like I was misled by a close mic or an overhead giving me a reference on a ride symbol or a snare drum. I just don't, I know why they do it, but I just don't favor that room mic approach when trying to give a reference. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not flattering to my ear. Yeah. And it makes me, it has make me question, like if I was going to buy something and there's been a couple of times that the video I was using as a reference was the drumsmith or the, the drum center Portsmouth's video. It kind of made me take a hesitation and go, well, I don't know if that's what it really sounds like, then maybe yeah. that's not. So, you know, I see what they're doing. I just, Everybody's opinions are always going to be different. Yeah. Still, a killer drum shop. I mean, you can't argue that. No, that's all the references they have for anything. I mean, yeah. It's tons of stuff. Um, Let's see. I'd like to buy a Sonar SQ2. Oh, I'd buy a Sonar SQ2 yesterday or Noble and Cooley, but I like eating more. I am waiting for the day. Word on that with the Noble and Cooley. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the day that Noble and Cooley start to have more cheaper drums just so I want one so bad. I mean, I have almost one, but like to me, it's the prestige. You got a Noble and Cooley. Number one, it's the prestige, but the that's history. the oldest, right? Yeah, it's the oldest, that's the oldest American, American drum, drum maker. Company. Yeah. And I understand the prestige behind <clears throat> it. I could actually, <clears throat> being that they're probably in the same price range, I could justify buying a Noble and Cooley. Yeah. At the same price, I don't know that I could justify buying the same A&F. And on the same level, I know you may not agree with this, at the same price, I don't know that I could justify the sugar percussion. Because those are relatively brand new brands. Yeah. Um, not to discount their quality, but I can see why the added cost for a Noble and Cooley. How old are those molds they're using? How old are the techniques they're using? The the whole thing where they put the uh, where the lug goes in lower because that's apparently the sweet spot on the shell, not in the middle. Yeah, where you were used to lugs going on. If you look at their their tube lugs, the 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 entry point into the shell is a third, 
you know, up from the bottom of the drum. And again, that's the oldest American drum maker. I can see spending, what's the average, 1500 for a snare drum? Uh, it's a thousand. A thousand. I get that. Um, my question would be, okay, so that makes sense. I want to, my question now is, other than the fact that the cost is so high because they're handmade, why is my A&F snare $1,200? Yeah. It's, you know, in most cases, a lot of those drums are either maple or brass. Okay, you had to patina the shell and you had to patina every, basically all those drums, everything's patinaed on them. Yeah. Or they do some special one-offs, which I get, but I can justify the prestige of a Noble and Cooley, some super vintage Ludwig, some super vintage Gretsch, a Dunnit. Yeah. That's, you know, the guy came up with his own proprietary alloy of titanium. That's work being put in. Yeah. And not to discount A&F or Sugar Percussion, but I, <clears throat> you mentioned Sugar, and I went to their website the other night, and again, it was like, wow, so my base, my base price for a snare drum is $1,000. Yeah. You know, I just can't justify that. I don't know your brand that well. I know a lot of guys are playing them. I know Noble and Cooley. Yeah. You know, there's no question with what they do. And like you said, that is kind of a wish list item one day to own some kind of Noble and Cooley. Yeah, like my wish list is some Noble and Cooley, and then I really, 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 really want a Craviato snare. Doesn't I don't care what the size, what the finish is, I want a Craviato. They're sweet. They sound so good, and they look so, so pretty. But again, there's that prestige. Of, I mean, he did so much yep. to push forward drum innovation. That's like either say, you know, I could say a Craviato, a Noble and Cooley, Cooley. or an Ockeltree. Because those three guys did a lot to, well, those two guys and that company, Noble and Cooley, did a lot to push drumming so far. Um, so I can, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot of history. Yeah. There and I guess that's a lot of what you're paying for, uh, like maybe in like same thing with an old Gretsch, or some of those vineyard models that Gretsch comes out with. You're paying for the history there, and you're part of the club now, yeah. basically. Um, but I, if money was endless, I still would want a Sugar Percussion, and I still want an A and F drum. Yeah. Am I going to come out of regular pocket money for it? Mm. No. Sorry. If you got any big gigs out there, and yeah. throw them our way. Lottery comes along, <laughs> okay, yes, we're we're good to go. Otherwise, you know, it's questionable. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Then Scott saying, like the Godfather, we keep in the family. Um, David said, thank you for remembering the painting. Yeah, I would definitely like to hook up with Hugh. I would love to hang that painting. I would love to have that painting in his living room. The well, Gretsch like I said, room. I'm going to get you in touch, David. And number one, <clears throat> because you're such a good conversationalist on the comments in the videos. I'm just glad you're here on the live stream. I've been kind of waiting these past couple of weeks and hoping that you would see it and jump on. So thanks for being here. Um, so guys, do you think Virgin bass drums are worth the extra stands? And that is from Phil, our Phil. Oh, uh, that is from our Phil. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's going to be, uh, that's going to be probably where Jared and I disagree. But Jared, you yeah. answer the virgin bass drum question. God, um, so at 
from Sounds Like a Drum, the tone difference is negligible. Um, from having a bunch of hardware and having a tom mounted on your bass drum versus not having a bass drum. Um, I, thanks, watch. Um, I like, it depends. It's so hard. Like, if you have a bass drum with no finish, like it's just a stain with nothing, no crazy clear coat, and you have light hardware on it, yeah, if you drilled into it, I'd be upset. I'd keep it a virgin bass drum just so everything in it, and I'd also tune it wide open so everything is, you get the most resonance out of the drum. But for convenience, I'll have to lean towards having a tom out because it's, it's just right there where you need it. But I also, depends on how you play. I don't sit completely straight against the bass drum to, for a certain way, but I'm, if I have to use one, I will, but I'm slowly working my way to not having anything extra on the bass drum if I can get away with it. Um, like that kit that Nelson, not Nelson, Swindle's doing for me. Um, I'm not putting anything on the bass drum. I mean, one, it's stave, but two, it's, it's, it's a it's a work of art at that point. That's, I, structurally, I would imagine that's probably different. Yeah, structurally, yes. One, I don't be. know that I would do that anyway. I don't know because yeah. I don't know much about staves, but, you know, sorry, I didn't, didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. Um... And I just think the aesthetic look of not having any junk on your bass drum is cool. Uh, so, I mean, if you don't mind hauling an extra stand, that's cool. I mean, if you look at the old uh, the old setups, you have guys from, like, you'll have... It's really neat, nifty, how they had to try to play multiple tom setups in, like, the 40s. Because you'd have your bass drum here, you'd have your rack tom, and you'd have a snare stand with the other tom on the other side. So you're, like, going... You're doing one of these, which I thought was kind of neat and kind of cool how you'd go around. I mean, practicality at that point, it's the 40s. Nothing really was set in stone. But I, if I had to pick a side of the fence to sit on, I would say don't put junk on top or inside of your bass drum. And I'm going to totally disagree. Drill, baby, drill. Take a tom mount and put it on that bass drum and get rid of those stupid stands because I would agree with you, <clears throat> the tonal difference between a virgin bass drum and a mounted bass drum with a tom mount on it is so negligible. Why in the world would you want to sacrifice not only stability of that thing hanging off the stand, but having to carry around that extra weight with you? It just seems <clears throat> like, for me, my 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 throat's whistling. It seems like <laughs> such a, a, a waste for me. Um, that Pearl reference was Virgin. It now has a Tom mount on it and I could care less. And I'm so happy that that is something I don't have to carry around, but I would agree with you. If the look, the re and I, there is something super pretty about a Virgin bass drum and a nice glitter finish, super well done stain that is so pretty. I get. Yeah. I get why you would do that. I'm old. I'm about to be 39 and I'm tired. My back hurts. <laughs> I don't want to carry anything around. Those little DW ultralight stands I have will not support a Tom. No. I cannot do it. Drill, baby, drill. Put that Tom mount. Put 1,800 Tom mounts in your bass drum. Make your bass drum look like it is nothing but Tom mounts where you could mount 
700 things <laughs> off. Now, I'm kind of coming around to your school of thought of putting less stuff in the bass drum. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you noticed when you walked in, I took that vintage head off the front with the hole in it and put the cap tone that has no porthole. I didn't even see that back. Yet. It has the hue method. It is now a caftone EMAD on the batter side. It is a caftone regular on the front with a felt strip underneath the bottom third. Proud and it sounds you. pretty good. It's Proud. recording okay. Proud of you. <laughs> Any more comments? Um, let's see. Uh, Zach Gouliage, uh, welcome back. My first pro kit pro quit, um, was a DW Collectors, which I still have, and converted the hanging 14 and 16 with legs. But as of that year i made the jump to ludwig and love it spencer says i have a virgin 24 by 14 and i will never part with it got off reverb in 2020 1973 blue olive badge cortex i don't mind running l arms off my symbol stands for the size of toms um let's see scott Sherman. oh Shireman. hey scott good to see you i uh, know resale value in most boutique brands like a and f at least w DW has a good resale value. I never even thought about that. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a fair point. Uh, DW has a, a good brand name behind it. So you are right. And a lot of cartridge companies and backline companies do that. So you do have a fair point there, Scott. That's uh, that is, uh, I can't really argue with you on that. A and F. Mm, yeah. With, you know, with that, with that kit that I, I built that custom one with the, the 12, 16, 24 mm -hmm. with the birch, Babinga shells. Had a hard time getting any bites on it. A lot of guys were like, well, who made the shells? I'm like, Infinity Drumworks. They're a small company. Who's that? Yeah, they're in Minnesota. Yeah, you know? so I can see. But that's a fair point, Scott. You, you know, you, you actually you got me there. Um. Then he also says, what about Mapex? I think we've talked a little bit ad nauseum uh, about that. Yeah, I think we talked about ad nauseum. I think the, the general consensus, at least here, and I know that's what Scott plays, so... It's a very high-quality drum company. Um, great sound. Nothing bad to say there. They just don't have the look that yeah. I, or really Jared, yeah. personally go for. And it really has to do, I think, with the lugs and the hardware. Yeah. Not the finish and the shells, because mm -hmm. like I said, that Saturn that I owned was one of the nicest drum kits I've ever had. Yeah. Um, it's just the way the lugs look, especially on the stuff they put out now. I can't really get behind their theming. Yeah. Like like I said, the Black Panther stuff looks cool. That whole Equinox mm -hmm. snare drum they did with the single flange, that's dope. But anything outside the Black Panther line with those lugs, I just can't get behind it. It just looks weird. Um, well, and, and like we say all the time, ad nauseum, nobody puts out a bad product. Nope. Which is kind of what we're talking about in the back half of this discussion. Does gear matter? Yes, it does matter because you now have the ability with the Internet to find exactly what you want through videos and sound files. And in that in that, you know, theme of thought, now that you can find now you can go for the one that really makes you happy. And the one that's going to make you the most happy is going to bring out the best playing. Amber made a good comment, you know, um, like she's an acoustic player and mm -hmm. she plays with me in a pop cover band. She said, well, you know, it's kind of like what if I brought a Schecter, which is typically if you're not a guitar player, heavy metal, thrash metal, hard rock guitar, 
you know, if she brought that out to a gig, which Schechter is a great brand, mm -hmm. it's not going to lend itself to her doing an acoustic number or us playing Bobby McGee yeah. or a Prince tune. I like or, how Bobby McGee gets mentioned. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or any, you know, any kind of R&B. So if Amber brings out the Schechter, if it's a nice Schechter, obviously we can't deny the quality behind it. Yeah. Does it suit the situation that we're in? Yeah. No. Is she going to be happy with it? Probably not. And is it going to bring out the most in her playing because it's not exactly what she needs in that situation? No. Yeah. As opposed to if she had a Taylor guitar or a Fender Strat or and it's kind of like the question earlier that was asked, you know, yes, the typically, the Tama is lends itself to hard rock and metal because of the tone it produces. Yep. Um, will it work for jazz? Probably. Yeah. Yes. Not probably. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Erskine. Will it yeah. do as good in a jazz setting as maybe a Gretsch? Probably not. The Gretsch is probably going to lend itself tonally and more of a classic sound to the jazz setup. So coming back around to everything, you know, no. It no. doesn't matter. No. A good player with good heads and good technique can make any drum sound good can make any cymbal within reason sound good yeah does drum gear matter oh my god yes because then it's down to you finding that specific sound you want or the quality level you want yeah. or whatever you're searching for to get the best playing to come out you know in the gig if you're just at home at church <laughs> Just playing with your buddies, that's the most important part, I think, for all of us. So it's a double-edged sword. It's a yes, and it's a no. Yeah. You know, I, I agree? I would agree. And I remember watching on some of 8020 drummer, uh, who is Nate Smith, who was, as he think he calls himself, the white Nate Smith. Not, I mean, because he has the same name as, uh, as the other Nate Smith, who plays extremely tight pocket. But he talks about, like, what makes a, you know... A professional drummer from you know I guess like us is that their ability to play any kit in any situation but I think for us a lot of it we know if we're striving to get to that point you know that's all out on technique but I think for the the run of the mill of us guys who are just playing with our bands just having fun doing you know what we want to do um, I don't think that that's not quite the the level we're achieving so us being able to play whatever you know make it sound good doesn't really matter a whole. I think it's whatever inspires us to be our best. I think is what true. Matters. And the, but the only situation I I do agree with that statement is the juke joint. Yeah. Every Sunday we are there. Players come in. Players come out. Typically Jared is always there with me. I was saddened because with his busy schedule, yeah. he wasn't there with me to laugh and joke and do stupid things on the drums all night. He did show up at the last thirty minutes, but I've had several guys come to the juke joint. And they want to sit in, and they're actually players. They're not just random drunkos or whatever. They're actually drummers. Yeah. And they come in, and they start fiddling with stuff. And in that case, I would argue against that. If you, And this is just a general tip for any of you out there that have never been in this situation. If you ever go to an open jam or you sit in on a guy's kit at the gig, Maybe it's an actual gig at a club and he's nice enough to let you sit in yeah. or you go to an open jam or open mic night. Never, ever, ever touch the drummer's stuff. Grab the sticks. You know, if something is just so far out of your comfort zone, ask, say, man, can I just 
for these couple songs, lower your stool. Or maybe, you know, I know some guys like a flat snare. Some guys like a tilted snare. Can I just... But don't go... I had a guy... I'll tell you who it is after the podcast is over. I don't want to say his name. Um, a guy coming to the juke joint. He comes in occasionally. He's not even a drummer. He's a guitar player. And he is loudmouth, braggadocio, very cheesy player. And he's not even a drummer. And he asks, like everybody, hey, man, can I sit in and just play a couple songs? And I'm like, on drums? He's like, yeah, you know, I can kind of get around. I'm like, okay, you know, if you can get around enough to play a song, by all means. And again, keep in mind, this is not a drummer. So he gets up there and I and I trust him enough to walk away. So I came around the corner from the stage and probably yeah. went out front to cool off or maybe to get a Sprite. And I come back and he did, as far as like playing the song, I mean, granted it was terrible, but he's a guitar player. I don't expect him to come out, you know, swinging sixteenths and really killing it. Yeah. But it was terrible, but it wasn't terrible in the sense of like, get off the stage. It was just like, okay, well, you know, that was, that wasn't great, but you're just yeah. a guitar player. But he adjusted every single thing on my kit. He adjusted the height of every stand. He adjusted the angle on the snare. He adjusted all of the toms. He adjusted the floor tom. He did everything, and I am being serious, short of adjusting the tension on my bass drum pedal. <laughs> every Everything <laughs> other than that. And all, I just, I lost, I lost it. It's like, dude, what is wrong with you? You're not even a drummer. You admit you're not even a drummer, so it doesn't even matter. Why would you touch anything? Yeah. Much less every single stand, the snare, the flo- like. And he just was like, uh, "What?" I mean, he didn't even get it. So, just just a piece of advice: if something is very far out of your comfort zone, obviously ask the drummer. Otherwise, just sit down and play, because a good player should be able to just sit down at the kit and play. Have you or Phil? ever come to the juke joint and and adjusted anything other than the tilt on the snare? No. I, I know that you like a flat and maybe even sometimes kicked away from you in a jazz style, and I know Phil prefers a flat setup as where sometimes I kick it just a little bit towards me. Yeah. That is totally okay because I know that Phil has a different playing style from you who has a different playing style from me. Not once has either one of you asked to adjust my throne. No. My bass drum pedal, or dared try to touch the height of the top. Like you just sit down and play. It's not your kit. You're only going to be there for a couple songs. Yeah, it's, so it's not that big of a deal. So just a piece of advice if you don't ever want to get yelled at by a drummer. So anything else? I'm sure there's probably some. Let's see. Uh, then we got R Killer. Agree with Rw. I'd buy Sonar before Dw any day and twice on a Tuesday if I had the coin. Not hating my preference. And then R. Keller, thank you. He goes, uh, while we were talking about other stuff, he goes, they said Mapex sounds uh, sounds good, but the logo and lugs work against them. Uh, then he also says Lee plays what's necessary for the crew. But I remember growing up hearing everyone say he was the best while I'm asking, ever heard Dave Lombardo, the one and only. Oh, yes. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. That's and right. And then um, he goes, Neil Pert, question mark. It was the... Or, question mark it was the image they liked before i listened uh for drumming skills we both have a very heated opinion of neil pert do we want to i mean i don't care 
And if they want to hear it, we'll get into it at two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. If y'all want to tackle Neil Peart, we can tackle Neil Peart oh, we can, right now. Oh, we can save it for another. That would be a good one. We talk about drummers who influenced us, and we could talk about. Well, we'll do it then, uh, yeah. too. I say we do it right now with a little bit of. So, talking about Neil Peart. I, I'll go ahead and say it for both of us. I think all of us can agree, Jared, myself, and all of y'all watching, whether you like Rush or not, Neil Peart is one of the greatest drummers in history. Yeah. You can put him up there with Buddy Rich. You can put him up there with Tony Williams. You can put him up there with the greatest of the rock drummers with Bonham. You, I mean, you can. he is going to go down in history, rest, you know, rest his soul. Now he really is going to go down in history as one of the greatest and most um, progressive drummers ever. Yeah. So I don't think anybody can talk smack about his playing or anything like that. Um, for me personally, it comes down to, do I like Rush? And the answer is, oh my Lord, no. I, I feel about Rush the same way I feel about Fish. Two very large bands. Obviously, Rush is bigger than Fish in the grand scheme, but you yeah. know, Fish in the jam band scene is one of the big three. Um, but I feel about both of those bands the same way. They are all master musicians. Everybody in Rush, Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Peart are yeah. master musicians. The same way with all of the guys in Fish. John Fishman, the drummer. Um, Trey Anastasio, the guitar player. I uh, forget the keyboard player's name. And Mike, whatever, who's the bass player. Yeah. They're all masters. And the, the thing that links both of those bands for me is I could have been a fan of Fish and Rush until they started singing. Yeah. <laughs> for me, that's where it stops. I cannot stand Getty Lee's voice. And equally in Fish, I cannot stand when those guys sing. It ruins it for me immediately. Yeah. Had they been instrumental bands, Probably would have been a completely different story, but they're not. So, at least for me, Neil Peart is amazing. Great player, great yeah. feel, even when he had to do the Buddy Rich tribute, which is way out of his comfort zone. Very. Um, same thing with Fish. John Fishman is a master drummer who can deal with odd time signatures and playing some of the best improv drumming you'll ever hear. But when, once they open their mouths, I'm out. I'm done. I have to hit stop or change the channel. I don't, yeah. you give your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, my opinion of Neil Peart is the same as I have of Ringo. Um, they're both great at what they do, but I'm just not a fan. I just don't get the hype. Um, there was recently a huge, I was telling you about this. Um, a guy, Kind of, I think he might have just been being a jerk. I truly do not understand why everyone gets so like, these are the best guys ever. If you don't like them, you're wrong. You don't understand, you're wrong. Like, I one didn't grow up with that style of music. I didn't grow up during that time of music, during any of them releasing anything. I think Neil is great. I think Ringo's pretty cool, but they're just not. My cup of tea. I mean, the guys that I think are really good have been dead for a long time. 
or not that long at all, but they played a whole different era of music, and that's just my personal preference. I mean, I mean, I'm not. They're not bad. They're not bad at any right or by any means. But I just don't. Well, that's okay because personal preference is always going to be personal preference. Yeah. And music is the most. It's most the most personal thing. Yeah. And I and I and I've watched a video and this guy kind of explains like how you can actually change your own preference in music, which I was like, you can do that. You can you can <laughs> you can alter what you like because I hate country music, and I hate the blues. You know, I know. Yeah. And, uh, and so and he's talking about like there's like three basic levels of like you listen for like each genre as it's like it's rhythm. It's melody, and then there's, I think the third one is harmony. I think in those, and different degrees of those depends on like if you listen to one that's all rhythm heavy, you're gonna be favoritizing or have you'll like that one more, um, and then if you listen to another one, you'll like that one more, and then you get them, and whatever you you want to go that you don't like, you listen slowly to the other one that incorporates that one of like it's like the second tier. It would be interesting to try. Yeah, I've been trying to do it because I don't like hard rock. So yeah. it'd be interesting to try to see if I could get myself to like hard. There's a lot of obviously amazing hard rock drummers, but I'm not really going to get into it because it's not my thing. Yeah. Um, like we were talking, Neil Peart, obviously great. It's just the singing that gets me. Um, only one I would disagree with and I changed my opinion on is Ringo. Because I will admit it, and y'all can attack me in the comments, and people attack me all the time when I say this out loud, I don't like the Beatles, for the most part. I don't either. I like the Fab Four Beatles. When they all had the black suits on and the same haircut, and it was like, I want to hold your hand. I like that, and I like it, and I was uh, discussing it today. I like it pretty much all the way up into, like, Get Back. When you get into the LSD Beatles and all that white album and Not yellow Big submarine Man, and all Walrus, that, yeah. I cannot do it. That aside, Tommy Igo. And if you haven't paid attention to Tommy Igo lately, my man is killing it on Instagram because he is laying out some nuclear truth bombs. Some hot takes. He has got some throats. hot, hot. Yeah, he really is. I've never been a fan of Tommy Igo. I'm still not really a fan of his playing, even though he's a master. I just It's just not my thing. But I have more respect now for him lately because he is laying out the truth. And he put a post up the other day in defense of Ringo. And if you go to Instagram and go to his feed, I'm sure you wouldn't have to go back very far. It's like a white post with just typing about defense of Ringo. And I had to agree with it. Mm-hmm. Ringo did serve the song. Oh, yeah. Ringo know, knew how to swing and half swing. Yeah. Um, Which is tough to do. Yeah. So as much as I might have bashed Ringo in the, not even the past, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. With you. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit my opinion has changed thanks to Tommy Igo. And thank you for Tommy for wording it the way you did to really make me see how short-sighted my opinion was of Ringo. Again, I'm not still really a Beatles fan. There are some Beatles songs I like. I'm just not a Beatles fan, but he did serve and was probably the best drummer for that band. Yeah. You know, I can't fault him there. I need to read that because every time I try to, like, look up stuff about, like, Ringo, it's either, like, 
not really like substantial or it's like it's hate filled. I'll show it when we're done. Oh. I'll I'll sh- I'll get on I'll get on my Instagram and I'll show you. It's it's it does make sense. Okay. And you know, he's like I said he's been laying out some nuclear truth bombs lately and that's just another one of the really good ones. Um any more? I'm sure there's probably. Uh we it got a little hot for a second. Hey, um, hey, well, and first of all, like we said earlier, the the interaction tonight in the comment section has been the best so far. Yeah, it's been we awesome. could care less if you agree with us. Yeah, I don't mean care less as in I don't care what you think, but if you disagree with us, that's fine. Yeah, that's kind of the point of the live chat. We could have done this as a pre-recorded podcast, edited out the terrible parts, and made it really pretty and shiny, and you could have just commented later on. Yeah, but I wanted to do this live. So y'all can actually chat with us. So if you disagree with us, awesome. If you agree with us, awesome. If you call us stupid, aw- I don't. It's, yeah, that's fine. It's I'm just very happy and excited that y'all are actually going back and forth in the comment section. Please yeah. let me know what is going on. There. Let's see. Um, Tool, Zepp, Slayer, if that's your genre, Stones, Rush, The Police are all great because of their drummer. In my honest opinion, your vocalist will make you, but your drummer will break you. I will definitely agree with that. Yes. No, yeah. you, a hundred percent. Yeah, um, he said never played drunk, but cousin learned it the hard way. Uh, he says fair enough. Rush isn't for everyone. Some songs are great, some silly, but I only listen to Neil and Alex, unrated guitar player. Amber's upset. She says we need to listen to Let It Be, the full album. I, Amber, I love you, but it's gonna be a very chilly day uh, for me to Everly. I mean, I've I've tried to give you as much as I can. I like the Fab Four, and I like Get Back. Yeah, that's about. And I like Rocky Raccoon. I don't know if that's a Beatles or if that's a Paul McCartney tune, but I think it's Beatles. That's as far as I can go. And I have heard stuff off of Let It Be. I've heard stuff off the White Album. It's just like we said, this is the most personal thing that you can talk about, and yeah. you know, everybody is not gonna like. I was talking to you or somebody about Dave Matthews, which I love telling this story because it's very true. And please, if you disagree or agree, weigh in on the comments. Whether you like Dave Matthews or not is not the question. Because I know a lot of people don't like Dave Matthews, and I know why they don't like him. And they all say the same thing. It's because it kind of seems like this and all the ants are marching. I get it. What I have heard 100% of the time, whether you like jazz, whether you like metal, whether you like dark Icelandic demon metal, whether you like <laughs> Duke Ellington, whether you are, and I have heard guitar players say this, I have heard uh, singers say this, whether they like the Dave Matthews Band or even know who they are, yeah, they always know who Carter Beaufort is, and I've never heard anybody Whatever music they play, whatever instrument they play, they've always said, oh, that drummer for the Dave Matthews Band is amazing. So whatever you like, I think just like we were saying about Neil Peart and Van Halen and all this, you can recognize their craftsmanship. Yeah. Um, Just like anybody can hate Dave Matthews because it's all this little jammer music, but they always say, but that drummer, I don't know who that guy is, but wow. He's great. He's going to go to, I'm sorry, I'll say this now, because that dude's got a long life ahead of him. He's going to go down in history with Neil Peart, yeah. with Buddy Rich. I, mark my words, that dude will go down in history as one of the greatest players, because he is one of the greatest players ever. Yeah. I'm sorry, no no questions. But anyway, 
Um, and then let's see. Uh, R. Kaler goes, I don't like the Beatles. Uh, Zach Gouliad says, I hold Neil Peart, <laughs> Phil Collins, and Todd Suckerman as my three heroes because of their drumming. It's what I listened to the most when I was beginning to play, so their influence has been super heavy on me. Love Phil Collins. And that's going to be a topic for another podcast, which is our influences. That's coming up. Yep. We got we got plenty of topics for you guys. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Scott Sharman. Great job tonight, guys. I was glad to be able to catch some of the show live. Keep up the great work. Keep keeping it real. You guys are talking suggestions. Are you guys taking suggestions for show topics? Hashtag the is the Beatles. I don't know what that means. But yes, we are taking suggestions. Yeah, Thank always. you, Scott, for coming, number one, and hanging out with us for as long as you can. All of you for hanging out as long as you can. And yes, that's also what the comments are for. If there is something a specific piece of gear y'all want us to talk about, or if there is a topic y'all want us to talk about or not talk about, yeah, let us know because I have about, we've got about four more topics in the bucket that we can talk about, and we're going to have to come up with more after that, but also that is what y'all are for. Let us know what y'all want to hear because the more stuff we, to- we talk about that y'all want to hear, that means more of y'all are here every week, and that's more of a conversation we can have in the live chat. So yes to all of that, and thank you, you know, for... This is really the best engagement we've had. This is only the third episode, but yeah. tonight has been super awesome oh, yeah. as far as the conversation. And then Kaler says, agreed to, to Collins. Pert, two of my earliest influences. Zach Gouliage for the past 10 years, but I can understand that their styles may not be for everyone. So everyone has their own opinions, just like I do, which is great. Um, see, Kaler says, oh, Spencer said later, guys. Spencer, if you watch this later on, thank you. It's been a lot of fun having you on. R. Kaler says, cheers. Let's see. Carter Beaufort is a beast. Amazing player that he is. Uh, Dana Carey, Wizard of Oz, also ridiculous. Dana, da- I'm sorry, Dana. <laughs> Think of Dana Carvey. <laughs> Danny Carey is very, yes. God, he is really good. And, it's, and people are pretty defensive of Tool. Yeah. If you don't like Tool, it's kind of like saying you don't like the Beatles. Yeah. And I'm not. Not that I don't like Tool. I'm just not a Tool fan because I'm not a hard rock guy or anything that's really aggressive. But again, Danny Carey applying like higher math to drumming. Like, are you serious? Like, let's take it past musical, take it past harmony, take it past melody. And I'm going to imply the rule of what is it? The the The, golden ratio. Yeah, the Fibonacci or whatever. The Fibonacci sequence to my drumming. Like, you have just left me behind, my man. I'm down here on Earth, and he is halfway to Mercury playing the drums to some sacred number sequence. It's like that is to be respected, and more than likely, just like a lot of the guys we talked about, he will probably go down in history as like, yeah. wow, you know, what else could you have done than apply higher math to your drum? Yeah, because that's what I'm starting to get into is is even just in 4-4, there's so much you can do inside yes. of it. and. I think he's a prime example of like you can take that and then literally the sky is the limit. The like jump you. bridge is a perfect example. It's in four four. It's not hyper complicated, but he obviously took something that was very simple and made it so interesting. Yeah. To turn that song on its head to where I'm like, okay, all of a sudden now I have a, a massive amount of respect for Alex Van Halen when I could have cared less before. Yeah. So you know, yeah, he's right about Danny Carey for sure. Uh. Scott thought that the LSD LSD Beatles, he thought that was a riot. Um, Spencer says, in your monitors, like the setup 
from ear to computer and being able to hear your entire mix while you play show topic idea. See in your monitors like the setup from ear to computer and being able to hear your entire mix. Or just like an an IEM setup. Okay. Um yeah, because I played pretty much half of my career using in ears and playing to a click. Um now I'm kind of transitioning away from that just using earplugs going for the natural sound and uh especially since like I said, for some odd reason, when I play a gig for four hours, they don't bother me. Yeah. But when we sit here at this podcast, the same ears sitting in my head start hurting for some reason. I think maybe because you're, because we're not actively not moving, not moving, and that's why it maybe doesn't quite. Yeah, because I guess when I'm playing, I'm kind of bouncing around. And you're and focused on head. something else instead of your ears hurting. You're maybe thinking more like, "All right, well, breaks in fifteen. So True. Well, yeah, what are we gonna do? All right, cool. And I guess you're right. It's an hour in. Then a 30-minute break with them out. Yeah. And we've sat here for two and a half, half hours, hours, and they have not moved. Yeah. So, um, which is a good reason you should always look into, if you can afford them, <laughs> custom-molded in-ears, because those don't hurt at all. And these are just $99 shears, which are awesome, but they're definitely not, I guess, long-term comfort yeah. um, in-ears. But that's it so far. We're all caught up. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, we've been here for two and a half hours, and again... Everybody was so awesome with their engagement. But to wrap up, yeah, um, uh, or to come back to our topic, you know, uh, anything you want to add to that? Uh, no. I mean, it doesn't, but it does. It doesn't, but it does. I think that's and the, that's the most convoluted answer I yeah. think we could give. But it really doesn't, but it does. Yeah, it doesn't because if that's all you have, then any good player can make what they have sound good. And it does, because if you do have the opportunity, you know, you go for the sound that will bring the most out of your playing. And that's the only reason I think me and Jarrett kind of go after so many sounds is because there's so many things that we're trying to do. Yeah. You know, that's really so. I hope that helps. It does, yeah, but it doesn't. It does, but it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, again, um you guys were so great tonight with uh, chiming in, and, and this was really some of the best interaction we have. I really hope. Now, what is you know what your schedule is looking like next week, uh, or do you even know yet? So let's see. I'm unless anything has changed, I am off next Thursday. Okay, so that got me tentatively. Nothing <laughs> has changed yet. So yeah. as far as right now, we are still on our regular schedule. Thursday, six p.m. Central Standard Time. Please come back again next week and jump in and converse. I was about to say conversate, and I hate when people do that. Converse, converse. with us. <laughs> um, we've got another good topic coming up next week. Um, again, thank you so much for you know going back and forth. We really appreciate you guys chatting with us. And, and like I said, we don't even necessarily want you to agree with us. Yeah. We just want you there and talking. That's why we go live. Um, and do keep in mind that if you didn't catch this live and maybe you don't necessarily want to eat up all your data or you're working on a drum and you just need something in the background, we are when the, when the video is done tonight, usually about a 30 minutes to an hour later, it gets published as a regular video on the channel. You can go back and watch it. Or if you just want to hear the audio version, you can catch us on Apple podcasts or Spotify. Just search bearded drums. You'll see Jarrett and my's beautiful faces with our <laughs> brand new pictures up. So you can catch all of that there. If you just want to hear and you know, please go check out the podcast that all of this helps us out. 
Um, we really do appreciate you guys coming in and hanging with us. Oh, it's been a lot of fun tonight. It's like I said, and like I totally um, planned on, this gets better every week. Yeah. I get better at all this foolishness that I have to take care of with switching. You've never really been on camera that much. So not that you were bad to start with, but you get better and you yeah. get more fluent every week and you're great with the comments. David, thank you for jumping in. I was hoping you would join us. I'm glad Scott jumped in because I talk with Scott quite a bit. Um, all of the guys that commented tonight, um, several of y'all are becoming regulars as far as on the live videos. Yeah. So we really do appreciate that. Um, and like I said, we will have brand new topics and all kinds of good stuff for you next week. Anything you need to say before we get out of here, Jared? Nope. I'm you don't even want to thank them. Oh, all you did was come in at five 52 yeah. and you don't even want to thank these people. <laughs> well, sorry. Um, thank you guys for coming. Uh, I hope it's been just hope it's been fun. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was late. Nah, I'm just I'm just messing with you. But I I do want to say I really enjoyed all the interaction we had with everyone tonight. That was a lot of fun for me because even though Steve was talking, I'm over here writing down comments in case they might have gotten redacted or something. So I want to make sure. But we didn't have any of that problem tonight, and it's no. been everything was nice and smooth. I didn't mess anything up when my switching was going on. Um, so again. Back at you next week, 6 p.m. Central Standard, same time. Great new topic. We hope all of you come back. We had a good run tonight. We went to two hours and 37 minutes. Yeah. So Jared and I will see all of you on the next one. And just remember, it will be the same time next week.